we bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a spaceship. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Flying saucers have invaded our planet. People of Earth, attention. It's the invasion of the podcast. The whole world is under attack. Can it survive? And welcome to Invasion the Podcast, where we try to take over the world one listener at a time. Uh, my name is Paul, and somewhere arcing across the sky, giving us all uh, gifts and curses, is the Algoro. Hey, hey, folks. How's it going? Yeah, good, good. I just, uh, I, I thought maybe you had something else. I just, you, yeah, know. I was, you know, I was, I was thinking about that, but then I realized I didn't have anything. So I was going to see if I could improvise something. And so I was just said, no. So we're nope. just going to default back onto some sort of, hey, hey, folks, I don't know where it came out yeah. of. But thanks for bringing attention to it. I really appreciate that. I, well, I just feel, I feel like, I feel like we both relate more to the character of poet we're going to talk about where like he's supposed to be a wordsmith and we're like, I got it. I got nothing. <laughs> some uh, people refer to me as the finger of God, but they didn't <laughs> specify they, which, which one. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm, I'm saying that in a jokey way, but that's actually a pretty good turn of phrase. Good it job, is. J. Michael Straczynski. Yeah. So what's, what's actually going on this evening uh, is I, I announced last week. And by the way, thanks again to, to Trevor coming on and, and talking some hockey. And we got real, real silly. It's it just, yeah, it was uh, uh, Miracle's a fun film. He's a good dude. Arabic Chuck Theater, Theater War podcast. It was a lot of fun. So I want to thank him again for coming on. Totally. Um, yeah. And, and getting, getting him like to crack up about stuff is just, it's entertaining to me. Like this guy, you know, like former Marine, easygoing guy, but I like, I like catching him off guard, but you can do that. And I will confirm yeah. he is more muscular than I am. I just, he posts stuff and I, I, I want to take a nap after watching some of the videos he posts. Um, it's, you true. Know, it's, it's impressive. And does um, the Murph for like a Memorial day. I'm like, <laughs> good job, bro. <laughs> That's how you celebrate a holiday. I'm, I'm trying to sleep in and find hamburgers. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> but so, what I had proposed to, uh, to Goro, um, recently was that, well, one, you know, it's always fun, you know, talking, recording, whatever. I know that we're going to have a hell of a fun time in July, uh, with your show on, on talk without rhythm. Uh, when we yeah. do our 4th of July silliness, that's going to be a fun one. Uh, but I, you know, in terms of comics, like you had Steve and I on recently for, um, your, your Patreon aside about alien day and we covered two alien comics and I know that you love comics and I'm sure we've said this multiple times, but since you're, you know, your focus on your, your show is, is always two films. It's mm -hmm. always, it's always very like that. Yeah. It's movies, movies, movies all the time, all the time, all the time. I, instead of just being like, Hey, you want to come on my show and talk about a movie? You know, I just, I want to do something different, you know, cause there's a lot of different things that we're into. And I know Steve wanted to have a focus more on comics going forward. So I know that you're always interested to talk about comics, which we had you on for the pit uh, episode, which, you know, you inadvertently pitched. You didn't realize it at the time until we're like, let's just do it. You know, let's cover pit. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I think that's, I think this is going to be cool. So what the plan is, is that I, I have suggested uh, the series uh, from top cow or Joe's comics or, or image, you know, we'll get to that uh, called rising stars. Uh, it's by J. Michael Straczynski. Uh, it is overall, it is 24 issues. So it is, it's broken up into three volumes um, and it's easily found. So if people would like to read this book. You could pick up trades of it pretty cheap. It's available digitally as well. I would recommend, cause we're going to put spoiling parts of this. Unfortunately, kind of how it's going to go. 
However, oh, sorry, go ahead. You were going to say something. No, I was just going to say, yeah, it's going to be difficult for us to actually kind of talk about it without spoiling things. However, for those that are kind of playing along at home, uh, tipping the hand a little bit, Paul has read this series. I have not. So we will only be talking about, hopefully, the contents of the first eight issues or <laughs> zero or one, zero, one half, one through eight yeah, of no, these no. issues. Yeah. Not going too deep into it because I really don't want Paul to spoil the story. Oh, no, no, me. no. That's that's the that's going to be the fun parts when we get to talking about sections two and three at a later date, uh, because I will be curious to uh, get your reactions then because I already know where this is going. And that's that's it's fun to revisit and see how the pieces fit. Right. But uh, but yeah, so like the, the uh, one through eight, uh, it's referred to as Born in Fire. Um, you guys can find this like it's like it gets readily available and go get it. it it's awesome. And I don't think it, I don't think it's really um, showed its age at all in a lot of ways. So uh, with that being said, uh, I, I do know that since you're the avid uh, reader and consumer of all media, you recently got to uh, the biography of J. Michael Straczynski, which is a writer I've always like held up in high regard, but realized I didn't know jack shit about him. And yeah, yeah, this is his baby. So um, can you give us a little bit of background on him? Yeah, so um, like we said, with uh, J. Michael Straczynski, uh, the name should be relatively familiar to almost anybody listening to this. But just on the off chance you're not terribly familiar with his work, uh, he was the guy behind the real Ghostbusters, or at least the best parts of the real Ghostbusters, the cartoon. He was the guy behind some of the better episodes of He-Man back in the day. He was the guy who brought us Babylon 5. And when I say brought us Babylon 5, meaning he pretty much came up with the entire concept uh, by himself. He was the showrunner. He was the guy in charge, and he actually wrote by himself the majority of the episodes that made up Babylon 5. He also is uh, kind of unofficially responsible for Deep Space Nine because, as it has been alleged many, many times in the past, when he was shopping around Babylon 5, uh, the powers that be over, what, CBS, Paramount, what have you, they said, oh, no, we're going to pass on your whole space station thing and then tap their own writers like, we want Star Trek on a space station. Do that. Yeah, I, I remember when those series came out because they were both syndicate. Well, actually, DS9 was syndication, but then Babylon 5 was supposed to be part of what the Power Network or something. Something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. It was like this weird, but I don't even know if it was called the same thing on every uh, territory. So it gets kind of weird. It was like a precursor to like how, like, like what was it, like the CW or WB, UPN, like or it UPN, was yeah. yeah. Um, so I remember that. And I remember um, the, 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 the actual first like couple episodes was like a primetime premiere on one of the, like my local stations that didn't have like a major affiliate. You know, like it was a big deal at the time. Um, and I, I, shame on me. I've not watched any of it. I know you've been watching Babylon five and I need to get to it. I've heard it's actually quite wonderful. It is very good. I mean, there's obviously some bit of aging to take into account into it, and it takes a little bit of time for it to get going. But one thing I definitely appreciate is because it is coming from largely a singular authorial voice that is from the jump had a vision for what this show was going to be at a time where pretty much every other show was let's pump out enough, enough episodes so we can get into syndication and get that sweet, sweet money. And then we don't really care at a time when reestablishment of the status quo was paramount on each and every episode, Straczynski said, no, I want to tell a story that will last five seasons. It'll have a beginning, middle, and end. We will go here. We will do this. This is what I'm planning on doing. Nobody 
had ever really uh, set out to make a show like that. Mm -hmm. Even the idea of kind of consistent storytelling from episode to episode, that was decades before that would catch on. And this is back in the day when, you know, he this these weren't like 10 episode, 15 episode seasons. These were 26 episode <laughs> seasons. And yeah, Babylon 5 was something that I had always intended to get around to. Unfortunately, I got somewhere around season three before it was dropped from HBO Max. So I've been trying to catch up on Tubi. But uh, yeah, I've, I've spoken at length about some, some of my issues with Tubi. <laughs> Regardless, <laughs> it is it is a very, very good show. And it was from watching that that led me to check out Straczynski's autobiography, Becoming Superman, uh, My Journey from Poverty to Hollywood. It actually has a much longer title than that, but we don't need to go into the whole thing. It's and yeah, I, I, I have nothing but respect for the man. Though, looking back, my first real introduction to him, other than, of course, real Ghostbusters, but when I was watching that, I wasn't really paying attention to names, was kind of the place where we're going to be starting here, his foray into comic books. But it's important to establish that he didn't start really getting super into comic books as a writer until about 1999. And... A lot of people these days will think of Straczynski. It's like, oh, yeah, he's the guy who had that awesome run on Spider-Man. You know, he was doing a lot of very interesting stuff with him, kind of revitalized the character after some questionable editorial decisions. Then again, he stayed on the book long enough that he himself had to write through some questionable editorial <laughs> decisions. Screw yeah. you, Casada. I haven't forgotten about one more day. Yeah, nobody has. Yeah, yeah. no, yeah. no. <laughs> So yeah, I am a big fan of J. Michael Straczynski. I can, and every time I dig deeper into him and expose another layer to uh, of his work, my appreciation for, for him just continues to grow. Yeah, and the vibe I get from what I was able to put together is that he always comes in with like the best of intentions and shows people he can do it, and then some more cooks started in the kitchen. He's like, "Nah, I'm out. I'll do me." And he always, yeah. bet, he always bets on himself, and it's and like, yeah. Yeah, and that's really where it came out to. I was talking to some people about that today, about the idea of how he just keeps seeming to be dropped from projects. And even by his own admission, again, if you read the book, this is the kind of vibe that comes across. He has a very, very small tolerance for bullshit. He will take an idea and integrate an idea and implement an idea into his work if he thinks it's good. But if it's an idea that's simply coming out of corporate fiat, if it's an idea that's being driven by somebody who has no real sense of story and no real sense of what he's trying to build, and yet he's they're trying to shove it down his throat – he will put his foot down. The reason he was kicked off of He-Man is because he was doing interesting things with the, the with the show. And he they got hit with standards of practice. And uh, I think they also ran into the same thing that when he did She-Ra, that he was largely part of the, uh, the team responsible for She-Ra. And they were going to set out to do these very interesting stories in the format of children's entertainment. And then they said, no, we can't really do that. It's like, all right, I'm going to walk. Same thing with real Ghostbusters. They had created this show that was, of course, a spinoff of a very successful film. They had actually made a dedicated effort into telling interesting, somewhat spooky stories, but trusting that the children would be on board with that, while at the same time providing a fully fleshed out female character in the form of Janine Melnitz. Only to be told, it's like, yeah, we got to make uh, Janine less sassy in this. Uh, the hard edges of her glasses, glasses are considered to be too hard edge. We need to round them off, and we need to make her not like the sarcastic secretary, but the uh, basically the den mother for the uh, Ghostbusters, because little boys don't like empowered women. And he's like, screw you, I'm walking. <laughs> 
Yeah, I also saw the note here about what making sure that all four of them had their specific job. Where yeah. they, they said Winston, the only black character was to be the driver. I'm like, exactly. yep. Oh, geez, you know. <laughs> so it is kind of a it is a small miracle when he's actually able that he has been able to kind of move from project to project that Babylon five was able to come into completion. Again, I've not watched the entire thing, but it is regarded by quite a few people as being one of the great works of science fiction. And yeah, he's had a lot of setbacks. The project that he worked on immediately following Babylon five, the, the spinoff crusade that's uh, completely augured in to the ground yeah. as he refers to it. And he's had a lot of setbacks, but he's also had some successes. It's the thing that he has this reputation of being difficult, but his talent is so undeniable that he was able to consistently keep getting work because he was just that good. Yeah, and then also like when you befriend Harlan Ellison, I'm sure you learn how to, uh, you know, have some sharp elbows at times. Yeah. You know, oh like, yeah. yeah. Well, I think the reason that they were friends is because they had a very <laughs> similar sort of mindset. There's a great story uh, Straczynski told when he was getting started as a writer. He uh, called up Harlan Ellison and was basically saying, "My work doesn't suck." He's like, "Okay, here's," and Harlan was basically, says, "All right, here's what you need to do: stop writing crap." <laughs> <laughs> if your stuff wasn't crap, then it would sell. All right. All right. Boom. And then, you know, later on, uh, he, when they became friends, uh, Straczynski, Straczynski brought it up to him and he just says, yeah, it was good advice. <laughs> you stopped writing crap, didn't you? <laughs> I, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. Ellison's an interesting individual. I'll say that. I love so, yeah. Harlan Ellison. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I just like digging in further and further. I just didn't realize how much his reach was in terms of what Straczynski, the things that I love, which mm -hmm. is like, that's always been kind of the mission statement of, of invasion, right? It's like always to make sure that we show like there's things that we love. There's reasons why we love them. Let's find the people that make the things that we love and appreciate and go further, which I know that's always been your goal too with yours is to always to dive into your films and then find cool shit and then find even more cool shit. Right. I, just, so. I always want to just, I want to put names to some of these because I just, you know, like, you know, I will always run around and just like, every time somebody mentions something, I'm like, oh, Drew Struzan, I don't even, you weren't even talking about him, but I'm going to bring him up and show you <laughs> things and make you understand, you know? So with Straczynski, um, yeah, I've been, a, I've, I've been a fan of, of his, I like my first real experience with him was rising stars. And then I bought midnight nation after that. Uh, and then whenever I found out he was writing Spider-Man, I jumped on that. And um, his first like few years on that book is amazing. I mean, no pun, no pun intended. Um, and then like to find out that his run on Thor, you know, informs that characterization in the movies too. Oh, yeah. like, he, he got a cameo in the movie. Yeah. Uh, and like, even like people talk about like, you know, what was it one more day? Like, you know, that you wouldn't have, I don't think you'd have some of the, the choice in no way home. If people weren't already kind of like, are you going to do it? Are you really going to do this idea here? Mm -hmm. You know, anyway. So yeah. I just, I want people to understand, and I know you've read the biography and I need to get to it myself, uh, that this is a creator of, you know, like people dig in the guy, the guy's worth it. And he's also like a successful novelist too. Like I actually read uh, one of his books years and years ago, even before I read his comics, I didn't realize it was him. It was the book other side. Uh, okay. It's a creepy little so, book. Yeah. It's a I, I haven't, I haven't book. read any of his, uh, kind of prose fiction yet, yeah. though. I did pick up a copy of his first, uh, not te too terribly successful novel called demon Knight, And that's with an N not a K. <laughs> so yeah, I just, the guy, you know, he clearly he's, he, whenever he finds like a medium, he's interested. He's like, I'll do that. And everyone's like, well, I don't know. He's like, I'll just do it. You know? So 
with that being said, um, we we've talked about other image comics before. Clearly we talked about pit. We've talked, I mean, you know, under the umbrella of image, not necessarily, you know, we know what image is They're They're the ability to get these books put out, not necessarily the company publishing them, you know, like mm-hmm. however you want to, like, I'm not saying that correctly, but, uh, under top cow, um, that's when Straczynski got the chance here to actually do these things because he kept wanting to get into comics from what I understand nobody would give him the opportunity really. So like you, you could speak to that more. Yeah. And it was the idea that at the time when this was at coming out of his career, it was after Babylon five had finished. It was after crusade had gone down. And as he was talking about, he was having difficulty at this point getting television work because the idea is that if you've were ran your own show the perception was you wouldn't want to be number two to anybody. And at that time, the only jobs that were available were basically working under other people. They were like, no, you're, you're a showrunner. We're not going to put you into here. You're going to try to be the boss. So that's where he kind of got the idea of, well, maybe I can give comics a try because he's been a comic book fan his entire life. I mean, the name of his company, Joe's comics, it comes from the fact that when he was a kid, he had comic books that he used to keep in a box that was written called Joe's comics on the side. Now, um, his father destroyed those comics in a peak of terrible, terrible abuse. And that's the other thing about reading his biography. He had a very, very difficult life. And I have to tell you, reading Rising Stars, I see echoes of some of the stories he told mm-hmm. about his life. And indeed, he, he spoke, he, he'll speak um, straight to the fact that ver- some of the various specials in this, they're, they're from his life. They are extensions of his own trauma. But anyway, he's been a comic book fan his entire life, and he th- thought he was going to kind of get into it. But as he said... The idea, uh, he had no real idea on how to write a comic book, you know, something that worked on a script that if you say, oh, a guy runs down a hallway and kicks open a door, you can just write that on a script. But if you're writing it for a comic book script, you have to take into account, well, we're going to have to set this out into panels and we got to get the integration of my, of my narrative and my dialogue with this imagery. And he said, he likened the idea, and this is quoting directly from the book, quote, The idea of going from television to writing comics full time and creating my own books with almost zero experience was like an ice skater walking into the Bolshoi convinced she can be a ballerina starting right now. (laughs) (laughs) And then this is going to be an extended quote, but it it speaks to kind of where his mindset was and the in the formation of rising stars quote. Most of the best-selling independent comics at the time were single-character books that starred a costume superhero marred by tragic flaws, such as Spawn, Wolverine, Fathom, Witchblade, and The Darkness. There were plenty of successful ensemble books, but nearly all of them were based on long-established franchises, such as the X-Men, Justice League, and The Avengers. Creating a single-character book was the safe commercial choice. So naturally, I went the other way. I decided to create an ensemble book about super-powered characters no one had ever heard of, most of whom looked like average folks rather than being the massively muscular heroes that were pro forma in comics established ensemble books generally averaged half a dozen major characters so mine would be about 113 characters <laughs> in which 20 to 25 would be center stage to further violate the usual tropes there would be no superpowered characters outside this group no supervillains and in particular no secret identities 
Yeah, that's the, uh, the dude's yeah. insane, <laughs> right? But then, like, like, um, and this will speak to something a little bit later. Whenever, um, I like you, you posted on your social media that you finished this first, uh, first book and that mm-hmm. the first eight, uh, and then somebody was like, "Oh, I thought this was supposed to be like, it, you know, adapted at some point to like, you know, a film, which it was." And there's other things we'll get into later about like release schedules and delays and uh, you know fights about like you know anyway, it's a whole other thing. But you said that like, uh, referencing that there's probably a lot of, you know, things that have come after that have kind of taken, stolen the thunder of this and in some ways. And I agree with that. Uh, it's just that it's like, it's interesting that this thing, it, there's a lot here in terms of his, his challenges for himself. were so at, like ahead of the time in terms of like, you know, like in terms of comic books and heroes, I mean, it, it, it's it's following the footsteps of Watchmen, but I didn't I didn't know that at the time because I had not read Watchmen until later. Yeah, but I think what a key thing to point out, and I think the the comparison between Rising Stars and Watchmen, while there is a similarity, I don't think one is necessarily a direct response to the other. Nor mm-hmm. do I think that they're setting out to do the same thing. Oh yeah. What in my opinion, what's what's Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons were doing with Watchmen was a deconstruction of the comic book format whereas and the the archetypes that make up comic the comic book characters that was the motivation to tear down and explore and and probably there was something in Alan Moore's thing to put a bow on the very notion of superhero comics so they could move on to doing something else <laughs> Yeah. Where I don't think that deconstruction of the genre of superhero books was Straczynski's intention into this. I think his more along the lines of, well, what would happen if we actually did give, uh, you know, regular people superpowers? It wasn't meant to comment upon the medium and it wasn't necessarily meant, in, in my opinion, to comment upon the stories. Though there are elements of that that permeate in there. It's just more an exploration of of humans, of human beings and people. And I think that's a key distinction that can be made between Watchmen and Rising Stars, where there were somewhat literary aspirations and sort of genre deconstructual deconstructual tendencies within Watchmen that weren't necessarily what Straczynski was going for. Straczynski was going for character and humanity. Oh, well, fair enough. But I like, what I, I guess what I mean by that, well, one, this is treated as this is the real world, except for this one extraordinary thing that happened. Sure. Right. So then also it starts off with a bit of a mystery that starts unraveling other things too. And I understand that it's like, I'm, I'm not trying to boil it down to it's like basic, you know, things, but you know, you do have, you have a compelling mystery to start off and then that's what gets you into that world. And, and also with like, it is, this is a, a more grown up comic. Now I'm not saying that there weren't grown up comics at the time, which is that mm-hmm. I think I, yeah, you're right. This, I don't, this isn't speaking to the medium. Um, even though I, it does, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, it does kind of point out the tropes later, especially when we get into the character of like flag slash Patriot, um, or Raven shadow for that or, matter. Or Raven shadow. Yes. Uh, yeah. So when we like, so there, there's some of that too, for sure. But like, what well, I guess what I'm saying for me, it's like, I, like, I, at the time when I picked this up, I wasn't expecting this amount of complexity and humanity from, you know, a Caping Cow book to my knowledge. Oh, I I certainly wasn't either. Yeah. And I think that one of the reasons it kind of really caught on when it did and why there was a whole heck of a lot of hype around it is because they did feel like something a little different. And the other interesting thing to think about is how this book – 
was part of kind of a trend in comic books. I'm sure Steve uh, could certainly speak to this as well. Um, and you as well, since you were an active collector during this time period, that in the 90s, the superstar creatives of comics were the artists. I mean, Image was founded by a group of artists. And it was this, while obviously there were very talented people writing in the 90s, and there were very talented people writing in before, at least during this time period in the lead up to when Rising Stars was published, the thing that would kind of sell the book was the artistic talent working on it. And yet when Straczynski put out Rising Stars, he was kind of riding the beginning of a wave where the focus started shifting onto the writer. And I was reading some various people kind of talk, talking about this trend in those uh, later 90s comics. And one of the, the things they kind of pointed towards as a potential sort of point zero towards this, where, again, it became the notion of the superstar comic book writer rather than the superstar artist, was actually Kevin Smith. Because when he came on Daredevil in, what, 98 his was the reason that people were buying the book. I remember reading wizard during that time. It's like Kevin Smith is writing daredevil. And you know, Joe Quesada was doing the art on there. The various people working on Jimmy uh, Palmiotti as well. But then after that, after Kevin Smith, you had Straczynski coming out with rising stars and the book was sold on his name. You know, he, it said J Michael Straczynski's rising stars. And then also with this, you had the rise of people like uh, Brian Michael Bendis. Mm hmm. So it was this kind of new wave of the superstar writer again. That makes sense. And it also, it's kind of funny that, that the, the person that wrote the foreword for the compendium is Neil Gaiman. Yeah, of course. So, yeah. And like, you know, yeah. Yeah. So somebody that, you know, you, you buy Gaiman for Gaiman, you know, you don't like, you know, like the art's amazing too. Right. But it's like, I like that. He's like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know how this Babylon five thing was going to work out, but no one told him that he couldn't do it or whatever. So like, <laughs> let's see how this goes too. I, I love, I love that Gaiman's like, yeah, I, I didn't know about that, but he went ahead and made it work, you know, like, he did. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, and I think, I think actually there was an allusion to the fact that uh, Gaiman actually wrote one of the scripts. I'm pretty sure that I, I'm, I'm remembering that correctly. I think Neil Gaiman wrote one of the Babylon five scripts. Oh, that would make, yeah. You, he seems like he's that guy. That's also a fan. That's like, can I sneak in for a minute? You know, yeah. I'm sure like, I mean, when, and if you have Neil Gaiman saying, can I write something? You, you don't, you don't answer. You just hand them money or whatever. It's fine. You're like here, thank you for this. I appreciate it. You know, just, <laughs> just don't make it too weird. I'm not kidding. So oh. yeah, with, 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 with all that being said too, and like, please remind me like, cause I know I immediately jumped in. We do have some, some things we want to talk about at some point at the end about supporting creators and things that happened recently. So I want to, yeah. So remind me of that. But um, so you mentioned before we started like, you know, this week prepping for the show, you're like, are we covering one through eight? Or are we doing zero and one half? Um, <laughs> yeah. And I thought that like, that's a valid question. Cause I had never read zero and one half, but you had, so that was your first experience. You, is that you, you recall being part of wizard, right? As a, like a, a, a tie in. Yeah, I was actually able to track down the exact issue, and it actually wasn't an issue of Wizard. It was a, a Wizard special, which was a magazine-long uh, focus on the uh, comic Fathom from uh, Mike Turner. Okay. 
So, yeah, folks, once upon a time, not only was there actually a print magazine uh, that covered comic books, but it was such a popular magazine that they could occasionally do one-off specials about particular comic books. But Fathom, of course, was uh, published under the Top Cow banner, and polybagged with it was uh, Rising Stars issue zero, which was a thing that Image was getting into at this time, where they would basically uh, publish these, or sorry, Wizards was doing it this time. They would publish these kind of half-length half comics books these issue zeros in order to kind of promote upcoming books or even established books and it was the idea that they could have called them anything they could have called them little asides but in the case of rising stars issue zero does kind of provide essentially a teaser for what is to come it, mm-hmm. it laid out the pitch of this is what we are going to do and that was my very first exposure to rising stars i had been following kind of the the buzz around it because i was an avid reader of wizard Com- uh, magazine at the time but uh yeah rising stars issue zero was my first real exposure to the book that mean that that's i mean that was by by design on their part for sure but it's just interesting that like i had never Went to. I never got to it. Like I just never occurred to me to go back and read zero and one half until you mentioned it. I'm like, oh yeah, I guess we could do that too. But uh, mm-hmm. but I like. Um, <clears throat> it's funny because like you you read that, and it does it does give the teaser of the mystery that's coming, but it also gives a little bit more. And then like I, I just it's well you mentioned that Straczynski didn't know how to like write scripts for comics, but reading like, like those and then one through eight and the rest of the series, it feels very much like this thing. It's it's ready to film. Like in terms of the storytelling, it's very um, like television. Like, you know, I, I don't know how to describe it. The framing of the stories is like you could just chop them out and like be like, that's one episode, you know, without being like too worried about everything else going on. Cause he, like, the, especially the first couple issues of one through eight are anchoring what's about to come with the last three. And they're all separate little stories that feel very like ready for television or ready for film. Um, I, I mean, probably cause it's like, if you know it, you write it that way. Right. And I feel like zero and one half are these little, like, you know, like now they would be web, like web shorts or whatever. Right. To get people interested mm-hmm. in the project. Uh, but yeah, I thought that was fascinating that you came to it, like by the way it was supposed to. And I just kind of walk into, um, the comic book store and, 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 and unfortunately at the time I was late to the game, but I picked up the first, uh, compendium born in fire. And, okay, um, so you actually were able to read all eight issues. Yeah, then I was able to read the next eight as the second compendium, and then we'll talk about the last eight issues and how that took a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I believe that even when they were putting out the regular issues, there were there were delays in kind of the production of it. That yeah. it, it was for what was intended to be, you know, a twenty four issue comic book run. So in theory, it should have wrapped up in two years if they yeah. had kept to a monthly schedule. I mean, I think it got closer to five overall. Uh, six, so, yeah, because yeah. well, almost almost six because issue one came out in August of 1999. Mm-hmm. The last issue came out in March of 2005. Yeah, I remember uh, when because every week I would go and check out, uh, you know, uh, local comic book shop, Carol and John's. I'm like, oh, it's like, oh, all right. And so <laughs> my two investment opportunities at the time were Rising Stars and Battle Royale. And you want to talk about a series that had major delays too? Getting <laughs> so I just spent a lot of time waiting for books to not show up. That's what I'm saying during that time. But yeah, no, I, I like, so, so yeah, so I was able to read the first, it's like, I, I was able to crush the first two volumes and then be like, I want more. They're like, there's no more right now. I'm like, but there's supposed to be more. It's promised me more, you know? 
Okay. Whereas what happened to me when Rising Stars was initially coming out, I was still in high school and it, I was over in England. And so my access to comic books was basically limited towards the single spinner rack that was in oh, wow. what they call yeah. the shopette on the military on the military base. So it's just kind of a small convenience store type thing. Uh, imagine a convenience store uh, like a gas station without gas pumps, and then that's basically the shopette. You could also rent movies from there. You could pick up some uh, small groceries, booze, and what have you. But they all, they had a spinner rack of comics, and I'd re- I'd I read Z- issue zero from that Fathom special that Wizard put out. I'd picked up issue one. I was able to get two, three, and four. And then they stopped carrying the book and I had zero recourse because, I mean, there were uh, British comic book stores, but there were none of them near me. The the one that we could consistently or that I would love to go to was in London, which was like a 40 minute train ride away. And so basically, if if my little shopette did not sell that book, I didn't read that book. So for years the only exposure to rising star I ever had essentially two up until this very week was those first four issues, five, if you count issue zero. That's, and that's interesting. And it's like, um, and it probably just never occurred to you now in this day and age of like, Oh, I could get back to that. Well, you it know. was always kind of in the back of the mind. Yeah. And especially since rising stars did go on to inspire so many things. And I would see little things. I'll be like, wait a minute, that reminds me of rising stars. And then I would hear people talk about this as being this great comic. But at the same time, I would also hear people talk about, well, the beginning of it was good, but the ending was terrible. But then I would hear people argue, like, no, the ending was amazing. So there was that kind of split. Hmm. So it was always kind of my intention to eventually getting around to going back and re and finishing off and reading all of Rising Stars. It's just I never really got around to it because there's so many other things to read. Oh, for you know? sure. No, no. And you are – you are a machine when it comes to your media consumption. I've, I've said that to you many times. Like, and it, it is, uh, I know you, you have a plan and you stick to it and I respect the hell out of it, you know, but whew, yeah, you get to a lot of media, you well, know, cause there's so much cool stuff. Out there, there is. I want to get access I, to all of it. I, I agree. And like one day you're going to get to the end of it. No, it's impossible because even people talk about that, like uh, friends and family, when they talk about, you know, how long I've been doing the show and how many films that I've discussed over the 13 years. And like, aren't, aren't you going to run out of things to talk talk about? It's like movies have been around for 100 years. Yeah. And they've been releasing hundreds of movies every year. I can watch. I could literally devote my life to nothing more than watching movies and not even scratch the surface yeah. of what is out there. Now, granted, a lot of out there. What's out there is crap, but still, there's there's still a lot of fun things to discover. Oh, for sure. No, that's you know, there, and, and as we keep moving forward with uh, ease of of ability to make things, there's never going to be nothing to talk about. I was, but but I just I, you consume a lot of media, rapidly sure. so, and that sounds like I just sit in my corner and like and I, I just watch like my one movie a month or whatever. I don't know. Anyway, no, so you consume a you consume a fair <laughs> heck of a lot of media as well. But you also play video games, which I'm yeah. jealous that you can balance in video games because I don't know. Balance is the right word. I don't know. Balance is the right word, but uh, you know, get angry at him often. I will. I will make time to be angry at uh, Overwatch all the time. So yeah, there's a difference there. My my yeah. problem is if I find a video game that I really like, I will pl- I will not want to do anything but play that game. Mm-hmm. 
So I have to limit myself to like twice a year. I become this, you know, creepy video game hermit where I'm just like, leave me alone and let me play this game. And then I'll emerge, you know, dazzling out into the sun and try to <laughs> put my life back together. <laughs> you like you walk out like it's the end of Cube and you're like, I'm uncertain of what's going on out here. I have no idea. what's going on. Yeah. Astronomical. <laughs> I love Cube, man. Nobody, uh, not enough people give Cube its credit. Yes, that's that's a film that I would also. I'm going to challenge other people to maybe maybe that's a future discussion for other people in a different show. But uh, there you go. yeah, I, yeah, I love that movie. So um, with that with that being said, everything like in terms of framing of Rising Stars and Top, Top Cow and Straczynski, um, I so. <laughs> Is there anything in, in in zero and one half that are key to you that you want to discuss before we get into um, the eight? Like, I'm, you know, we don't have to go like one by one by one, but I also feel like we kind of kind it kind of happens because it's in order, right? So, yeah, I mean, th- there's really nothing in those issues that I would consider to be essential, but it mm-hmm. does provide some interesting kind of additional context for certain things. And like I said, zero just provides a good introduction to what's about to happen. Uh, but I don't think it's integral. I mean, heck, if you if you pick up the Rising Stars compendium, which is the obviously the best way we would point people towards reading this book, because it not only has all 24 issues of Rising Stars, but it also has, you know, issue zero, one half, the other uh, side stories he did, as well as some spinoffs from Rising Stars mm-hmm. that actually weren't written by uh, Straczynski. It was written by... Oh, I had her name. Uh, and now Fiona Avery, I see here. Is Fiona Avery, thank yeah. you. But uh, even issue zero is not positioned at the beginning of the compendium. It's con- it's after his run. So it's not considered essential, essential. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, it, I wanted to reread it because there's a certain bit of nostalgia because, you know, that was my first exposure to it. Yeah, And, and yeah, I like the, the text inserts that it has as well, yes. which is something that is becoming a little bit more common in certain comic books. Um, and I will say the story of, uh, that is in rising stars, one half about the boy who wanted to be special. It's not an essential story, but man, it's a heartbreaking one. Yeah. And then when you mentioned the text inserts, what that's going to be, you'll see in the second, um, part of the story that it opens with a number of different like magazine articles and things. So it's like, it does that. But I also think of Watchmen. I think of that too, how yeah. he would like, so and I, I, that to me provides more like uh, texture. Uh, to the world and it makes it feel more lived in. Um, but I do dig that. So, yeah. Um, but the other thing too, I like about what was in one half, it actually um, provides a little bit more background for one of um, the relationships between two of the specials. Oh, the yeah. later one with, yeah. uh, with, well, I guess we can call them by their special names of pyre and flag. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was a good, that was a good story. Yeah. Cause it's like, you know, even though like you, they, they, they talk about that back and forth. Um, that does provide a little bit more grounding and I dug that. So mm-hmm. that was cool. I didn't, I did not know that was what was going on. So, um, so with that, with that said, uh, we got, uh, issue one Nova Placenta, which that's my favorite nineties, uh, alt rock <laughs> band. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a lyrics from a, a live song, right? I, I, <laughs> <laughs> um, sure, probably. I know. I would like Edward Kowalczyk, J. Michael Straczynski. You could flip the names around. I don't know. You know, same like, dude. Same <laughs> dude. 
Um, both notoriously hard to work with. I'm, I'm kidding. So uh, I just want to. I was trying to find some information about the, the the people that actually created the books as well. It's really hard to find some information on these people. Like, there's not like a like there is some out there if you're looking for specific like creator pages, but it doesn't do a good job of listing like what the, like. I, I want a Wikipedia entry is what I want for some of these people. And it's hard to find some of this, but um, I just want to point out uh, the, the pencils for this first couple issues are by uh, was it Kicha, Kiocha? Uh, is that how you yeah, I think it? it's uh, Kiocha. Yeah, um, and then um, was it inks by Jason Gorder, and then color. It says liquid with an exclamation point, but it turns out that, uh, like that was um, a a, gra- a company called Liquid Graphics. Which, yeah. you know, like that's something that we see more of now, right? With like the, sp- the specific companies doing coloring. Um, so that's that's the big thing. Uh, but I also want to point out that Shaw did uh, Witchblade and he has his own series called Hex the Lost Tribe. Jason Gorder, uh, he actually inked uh, Midnight Nation and then some books, uh, cable books in the 90s. Hmm. Um, yeah. I think he actually uh, inked the issue, the first appearance of Deadpool. Oh. Um, if it, but I, it wasn't quite clear because he's showing off his, like, uh, he got like a graded copy, like he got it, like, you know, when he, we bricked or whatever, like under that plastic and he had like, it was autographed by Liefeld. And he's like, yeah, it was really nice to sign the book a long time ago. I'm like, so did he, are you just a fan or did you work on the, it was not quite clear, but I think he's the one that inked that book, it, but whatever. <laughs> um, I just, I thought that was, uh, interesting. And then also, um, uh, lettering, uh, cause we always forget to talk about lettering, uh, Dennis Heisler. Uh, he actually would go on to do um, The Darkness, Fathom, Rising Stars, and Witchblade. So obviously, you know, when you work around the similar companies, you do a lot of their books. So Yeah, and since Joe w- was working with Top Cow in this, he was probably just pulling from that stable of people. Yeah, so I just, like, I want to try to give credit where credit's due. I just wish I was able to speak more to, the, to these people because clearly they're creatives, you know, and they are part of an important book. Um, so with that said, um, I'm, I'll put it to you cause you're the, you're the more wordful person. Where do we, where do we start this at? Like, uh, like in terms of like issue one, like we, we start off with like, like poet talking, he talks a lot in the series, right? Yeah. yeah. And he lay, lays down essentially the gimmick of this. So for, for those that are not familiar with the basic concept of rising stars, the premise of it is sometime back in the 1970s, I think it was, it was like 1975, 76, somewhere in there. There was a meteorite that's uh, crashed down in the town of Peterson. And the, as a result of that, every child that was in utero from the, the, either from right at the point of conception or just happened to be in the womb, they were given special powers and they dramatically vary in intensity. You know, we have some characters like uh, the aforementioned Flag, who's super strong. He can fly. Uh, similar to him is another gentleman by the name of Matthew Bright, mm-hmm. who's very kind of a Superman-esque character. You have Pyre, who we mentioned, who's constantly on fire. But then you have people that don't have as big, you know, showy kind of powers. We had a, there was a woman that they talked about, uh, her name was Laurel Darkhaven, that she had like very small telekinetic abilities, which as they pointed out, could actually be quite deadly if you yes. properly. <laughs> but you know, it's, it's, it was basically 113 children that were, that, uh, started manifesting these powers. And so they were kind of segregated from the, from the rest of society. 
They were raised with each other. They grew up with each other. They were friends. They were enemies. They were kids together. But they they were a, a generation that grew up having these powers. Some of them went off to have fame and fortune. Some of them just kind of went about their lives. Because as we find out, even if you have superpowers in the real world, that doesn't necessarily translate into becoming a superhero. Or it doesn't yeah. translate immediately into fame and fortune. Some people either just don't have any interest in that or they just kind of fall through the cracks because, hey, that's life. Yeah. And but also the main hook of this, too, is that we find out that the the the, the set like, poet we're, we're in the future. Like we're like what? Um, like it's 60 years in the future or something. Yeah. yeah and, the entire yeah. story runs uh, 60 years. Yeah. And he's talking about like, you know. Uh, this, this thing happened. He was like part of the one thirteen, but he's also the last one alive. And that's, that's your hook where it's like, he's like, I got to tell the story of what happened to the rest of us. Um, so that's, that's an interesting, you know, like, Oh shit, we know they don't all make it out. You know, like even him, we don't even know for sure. But yeah. So, but the first, the first part of this is it's, it's a mystery, uh, that poet is starting to figure out, um, that, uh, specials are being killed. Mm -hmm. Um, and because of that, uh, but they're being killed in very specific ways, according to their power sets. Yep. Um, and he started to suspect that maybe like somebody's like that. He's like, well, then who, who knows how to do this? And you know, it's him going around asking questions and, and like trying to figure out what was going on. And there's something bigger here, but because he's always been the outsider of the group for reasons we'll get into in a little bit, he, you know, it, it's like, <laughs> He's almost like like the like the Batman type character with the Justice League of like I don't know why everybody else is getting beat up this way because I'm the one that figured it out first you know yeah. <laughs> like so yeah uh, but he always was like he always thought he was the equalizer and then somebody around's doing this and that's like it's upsetting to him because like well he's also like I don't know he, he's always never had a close relationship with anybody except for maybe Raven Shadow. Yeah, Raven Shadow, uh, it's implied to it, but he also had a very deep relationship with the doctor. There was uh, Dr. Yes. Wells, who was uh, instructed or hired by the government because, again, these kids, they weren't raised in complete isolation. They were allowed uh, to see their families, but otherwise they went to their own special school and yeah. they had a doc that was there that would, you know, counsel them and keep an eye on them and these sort of things. And poets. Uh, whose name is John Simon, he has a very close relationship with the doc, closer than with all the other specials. And we find out why later on. Yeah. Well, and also, too, it's important that like that you see the caution that the government has from the jump once they figure out what's going on and how, like, um, there's even a bit later, and I think it's revealed in, like, what was it, uh, one half or zero, we actually see the Supreme Court decision that lets the kids stay with the parents. Yeah. Right. Which, by the way, why is the sci-fi thing that we're reading about and that decision is like that makes the most sense to me in 2023 than anything I've seen recently from the Supreme Court? I don't understand. <laughs> but, well, I, I was thinking as I was reading that, it was like, man, I wonder if uh, JMS either read a lot of law books or just like tapped a lawyer saying it's like, okay, I want the I want the uh, the statement to say this, the judgment, write it up like a judge would. <laughs> <laughs> like, cause it works. Right. But it's like, it's also like, Oh, look at that. It's a reasonable response of like, these are human beings. And just because what was the, what was the thing came down? It's like, just because someone might be born with like an ability for sports or music or art doesn't mean they should be removed from society. And he's like, and yeah. they're like, these are the same things. It's just, however, with that being said, 
they might all be taking time bombs, so we need to have a doctor watch them. (laughs) Which is a reasonable response. I think that that's that's one of the things about this. A lot of the decisions that are made by various people, not necessarily all of them, but various people, they seem like reasonable decisions. Yeah. Uh, But then, like, was it at first before before they got put in Camp Sunshine or whatever it was called? Uh, they they were letting the the kids exist to unto themselves, but then um, no, that's no when they got put to camp. Sunshine. That's when we got uh, the whole thing with um, uh, what it wasn't Pyre. It was the that other, was Lee Lee, uh, which is just heartbreaking. Yeah, um, and that's issue one. Yes. It's one of those things where you was. We'll, we'll say it this, and I suppose you know a content warning for very very dark material. But issue one, they established that one of these characters had previously been molested mm. by a camp counselor because the camp where they sent them to, it had previously been just like a regular summer camp. You know, where else are you going to be able to house a bunch of like 100 plus kids? It's, you send them to a summer camp. And Lee had previously gone to that summer camp. And uh, he had previously been molested by somebody. And we get to see Lee manifest his powers for the first time when this guy tries to do it again. Yeah. And that's issue one. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, I mean, if nothing else, it really established that this is going to be a dark story. Yeah. And it shows that like, there's also this, like, um, the reality of like, it, this, this is just, isn't, um, I don't know. Like there, there's a real, real trauma here. And, but also like how the government was like, you, you saw the guys behind the scenes where it's like, well, we're, we're going to wait for one bad thing to happen. And then we're going to swoop it and like, you know, have more control. And then that happens. And the guy answers the phone. He's like, Oh, well that happened earlier than I thought. Like, ugh, you guys are just waiting. You were always waiting for that one moment of fear to swoop in and, and start exerting your, your force of will, which is going to be a repeated um, beat with the government mm-hmm. always being like, we don't understand what's going on and we're going to try to control this. Um, yeah. so I thought that was interesting, but the doctor Wells is like, he, he's almost like a unicorn in terms of like a character that you get that you wouldn't, you'd always suspect that he'd be the, the one to betray the group. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and especially in modern day stuff, it's like, Oh, there's going to be the creepy doctor. He felt this, like, it's, it's almost like, um, he knew he was the one line of defense between, you know, these kids cause they're kids and the government treating them as weapons. Yeah, I mean, and and if nothing else, he really personifies a lot of kind of one of the major themes of this is just like, at the end of the day, these are people. They're no more, no less, but they're people with extraordinary abilities. They could do tremendous things with them. They could also do terrible things for them. And justifiably, a society should be ready for them to go either way, should give them the room to just be live their lives, but also recognize that if one of them goes bad, we're going to need a response. Yeah. Cause there was, a, there was, there was a statement in there at some point where um, they said, well, if we could just go in right now, they're all kids. And we could just use a gun and end this all right now. Like, and yeah. I was like, Oh gosh. Right. Like that, that unfortunately is a worse statement to think about today. I mean, like not that I'm okay. Sorry. Killing children bad. Anytime of you like, you know, time and place, bad right? at any time. Yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, Oh, these are all just a button. You're going to put them in the school together and think, you know what we should do? Shoot them. No, not great. Uh, But the other thing I want to mention, though, too, is the character of Sanctuary and how his his shitty parents are like, no, 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 no. It's the gift of God um, Mm -hmm. versus like everything else going on with him uh, where like, you know, he's he's special, but because God blessed him. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And that was one of those when that story beat started going. 
that's when it started t- pinging me the, of kind of stuff that I had known for about uh, J. Michael Straczynski reading it now okay. uh, because um, of it reflecting onto his life. Because, again, Straczynski had a very, very difficult life. And he, as a result, when he started going to college, you know, he's going to college in like the uh, I think it would have been the 70s at this at this time. And that was when you were getting kind of like the long haired friends of Jesus groups. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's the it's the fun Christianity, you know, where we get together and we sing songs, you know, uh, Jesus Christ Superstar, that kind of Christianity. And he he fell really deep into that sort of Christian commune lifestyle. He found, even though he had initially w- what had wanted nothing to do with God, he was very much an atheist. You know, there was a pretty girl that was part of that group. He got a lot of love from these people, and it, from coming up with a, from an incredibly abusive childhood, he fell deep into this sort of commune. The thing is, is that he started noticing hypocrisy within it, Mm -hmm. particularly a church leader that was taking advantage of various female members of the congregation, shall we say. And when Straczynski tried to report that, the elders of the church circled the wagons to protect this guy and basically said, shut your mouth or we're going to kick you out of this community. You know, this this one group that has ever shown you love if you don't shut up about this, we're going to cut you off completely. And Straczynski did what Straczynski did. He stuck to his morals and thus he lost basically the one group of people that gave, ever gave him unconditional love. But that really did establish uh, <clears throat> that's his sort of distaste for religious hypocrisy, mm-hmm. which uh, certainly started playing out as the series went along. Oh, yeah, for sure. Right. So but. Um, so yeah, when you speak to like these different things that have happened to him and him writing into this, you know, like, you know, that, you know, that I don't know if it's cathartic, but it certainly provides a lot of like ways to like work in your own mind of how you want to, to deal with this. And, uh, but yeah, the, it just the moment the, the, you know, the, the godly parents are like, no, this is a gift to God. You're like, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I have my suspicions, you know, but, um, it's, yeah. yeah, anyway, so yeah, so that's that's issue one setting up like they were all stuck together, um, except what was it Lee after setting fire to the guy that was going to assault him? Good on you, Lee. Um, his family just took him and left, and they hid. Right, For, like they kept trying to hide because they knew that like he's now viewed as a threat, and you know, and he also is now in exile from being from the exiles. Right, so it's like that sets up. Um, you know, this would be a super villain origin story, but this is, uh, Straczynski writing it. So not so much, Yeah, you know? So, uh, but yeah, hell of a way to start the series off. Um, and to show you that like, yeah, there, there are amazing things happening, but you know, (laughs) human's going to be human. Right. So totally. Yeah. Uh, issue two can't touch this. Uh, but by the way, yeah. So like, so Nova Placenta, August 99, uh, October 99. So not much of a delay just pointing it out. I want to point out that there's going to be some gaps here. Right. So this is dealing with, um, like, uh, we find out the sad story of, I forget the gentleman's name, the one that can't feel anything. Peter Dawson, Peter Dawson. Yeah. The, um, the, the invulnerable man. And yeah. the, I, I love that. And it, I remember it blowing to my mind when I read this as a kid, Yeah, you know, I, was, I think I was 14 when this came out. So the idea of invulnerability in comic books, well established, but just Straczynski playing with it, saying it's just like, okay, we've intru- I've intru- I've created a character that is invulnerable. And he actually mentioned that this was the very first special he ever made. 
that when he sat down to figure these guys out, again, kind of drawing from his personal experience, uh, I'll give you a quote from this. Um, I'd survived my childhood and much of my adulthood by isolating myself so I couldn't be hurt no matter how hard I got pounded. The price was the ve- was a veil between me and my emotions. So the very first character I created was Peter Dawson, whose body is surrounded by an energy field that protects him from harm but also prevents him from physically experiencing the world around him, unable to feel the touch of a woman's hand or the wind on his face. Yeah. Um, and what, what somebody would turn into a great lakes Avenger as a joke, probably turns into something a lot more like you've thought about this. You realize like how much of like a personal hell it would be. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's like, and I think that's interesting. And then also like when, like when the cops are talking to Dr. Wells, about his experiences dealing with these kids and also with this gentleman too, like like people can't understand. It's like, wouldn't it be great to, to be like this? And they're like, well, not really, you know? And it's like, well, what, what do you do? And then it also turned out to find out the one thing he can't experience is taste. Yes. Flavor. Because the, like they explained it away, you know, the, the powers. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Just accept it. He can't feel anything, but he can taste things. So just want to imagine that folks. Yeah. Imagine if the only sensation you could ever experience ever was taste. Wouldn't you want to do that all the time? And so we have this character of Peter Dawson, who is this morbidly obese man and also pointing out that he is the perfect example of, yeah, he has superpowers. Nothing can hurt him. That doesn't mean that you, he can hold down a job. What do you do with that? Yeah. Cause he, they even go into further about how, like, you know, what originally when he was still part, when they're all growing up, they would have this, like, we find out later it was a football game with everybody with their, like not using their powers, but yeah. they decided to like, they, they, the one team was like, well, we'll get Peter cause he can't turn them off. Like, why not? Just, just because he's invulnerable doesn't mean he could block anybody. You know, yeah. like, I mean, just, so it doesn't make him a good football player. It just no. means he can't get hurt yeah. when somebody steamrolls over him. Yeah. Like it's just, that's not, you know, not ideal. Right. So, so then like, um, but then we find out that he was trying to get into like, you know, law enforcement and various other things. And like, because of his, his weight, no one would either, they would either, they wouldn't take him seriously or they say he wasn't capable of doing the job. Which, I mean, I don't know. He couldn't be part of the highway patrol, really. You couldn't just sit in a car. I, it's whatever. Anyway, that's, you know. <laughs> <It's> what <it> <laughs> <is>. <laughs> I, like, I know I'm not in shape, but I've definitely seen some people that are of law enforcement that look like me. At you the know? very least, he could have been a prison guard. <laughs> yeah. No right? offense to any prison guards no, that are listening. No, but it's but... like, like who, who's the guy you're going to send in to maybe like when things get a little violent? Send that guy in, you know, yeah. like, yeah, whatever. Just, you know, just. I would have put him into hazmat disposal personally. Right. I mean, yeah. just the thing, yeah, the things that we wouldn't, you know, yes, that would be perfect. Right. Um, so, he but could, they he, did establish also, he has a problem with authority, which also probably prevented him from having a good job. <laughs> uh, so do you think do you, when you say Straczynski made this character first, he has a problem with authority. I don't know what you're saying there. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Let us psychoanalyze yeah. J. Michael Straczynski as we read Rising Stars. <laughs> right. So then, but we find out though that like, um, you know, he thought he would, uh, you know, he became like a spokesperson for an insurance company. Like, you know, he's able to like, you know, basically do the Edison thing, but not die, you know, like, you know, like basically like the Edison thing with the elephant, but he lived whatever. Um, but then he's, he was killed. And everyone was like, well, how do you kill guys, you know, invulnerable? And it's like, and then like, well, um, you know, if somebody can't feel anything and he's asleep, 
there's a lot of lightning and thunder going yeah, on. Yeah, there's a lot of lightning and thunder out here. So I just heard it come off of you. Yeah, I know. So just let everybody know that, you know, if we if if we stop recording suddenly, it might be because of that. But anyway, so we'll pick uh, it up later. Yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's the idea that's like, yeah. well, yeah. If a guy can't feel anything, that means that if he's passed out, he won't feel his arms getting taped to the, to the chair he's sitting in. Mm-hmm. He won't feel a uh, dry cleaning bag going over his head because while he is invulnerable, he still needs to breathe. And that's again what sets up this great kind of mystery because. Who would know that that's how you kill a man who cannot be hurt? Who would know other than the people who he grew up with? Because yeah. they shared everything. They knew everything about each other. And then that, and with Wells even telling, you know, he eventually admits later that like, they're, like the cops are like, well, who could be capable of this? He had to give him a name and he gave him Poet's name. You know, yeah. like just as a like, you know, hey, you know, this is what's going on. But then, you know, he admitted to like, he's like, yeah, I know you didn't do this, but somebody did, you know, mm-hmm. and like so because he trusts him enough because we like we now we, we know that like, you know, he knows that poets different from all like of, of the other 100, 112. He's different um, yeah. from them. Um, and, but yeah, so we get to that, but we also say that there was one other, they mentioned what was the one kid, Willie, that, um, just got bullied too much. And there's like a, one, like a, a journal entry that poet writes in here. Uh, is it him or the doctor? I can't recall, but either uh, way, I, th- yeah. I think it was, uh, I think it was, yeah, it was, it was poet. Yeah. Talking about how like this one kid who was a little overweight, but could fly, but only so high in the air, the rest of the kids made fun of him and then eventually just disappeared, just flew into the sky and was gone. Um, it's like, yeah, it's like, that's another thing too. It points out like, like Peter, yeah, people didn't take him seriously. Cause it's like, yeah, you had the superpower, but you couldn't do anything with it. So you're not cool. Like, you know, bright or, uh, you know, Jason, who is a flag, um, or Willie who could fly a little bit, but not by much. It's like Straczynski, like you talk about him having a hard life. He understands how kids work and how cruel oh, yeah. they are. And yeah. So, but yeah, so he's talking about how like people, there's people that are starting to come up missing. It started with Willie. Uh, and then Lee disappeared and now Peter, right? So, and then the last image that we see, I think on this, this is a flag corporate corporate superhero. Uh, did you ever get into like, I, do you know the reason why they kept joking about the name? I don't remember. I know okay. I, I didn't put that together, but it, that felt like a reference. Well, it's not a reference. It turns out like, so, uh, the character of flag, which is a cool design. I can't mm-hmm. help it. Really cool looking design. Uh, America, man. Um, they kept saying, see our new name soon. And they keep joking about this is because once the first, like when the book was announced, a gentleman came forward to Straczynski and was like, I have a character with that name. Oh, and, that's right. It was and, American flag. Cause they yeah. didn't even mention the later on. They they said, yeah, it was something to do with shaken. It was the Howard shaken book. Yes. The pieces are all together. That's now. exactly American it. Flag. So that's cause it, cause uh, Raven shadow says it to him in the next issue, I think. Yeah. Uh, so like, so the whole thing is like, they just leaned into it. And he that's just, a, he wrote around hilarious. it, but he also was like, yeah, he could have just went ahead and, and kept it, but that's the kind of guy he's like, okay, well, thank you for calling that out. I'll change the name. You know, yeah. I, yeah. I, I've, I, I've, I've heard of American, uh, American flag, which, um, if I recall correctly, it's like kind of a satirical book, yeah. um, dealing with, uh, fascist, fascistic themes and things like that. Um, cause it's, it's American flag, but I think it's spelled with a K as well. But yeah, I've, I've never read that book, but neither have I, but I remember now it all time. comes together. Yeah. Like I, I, I didn't see it on the Wikipedia, but I'm like, I remember reading about that at some point and it's like, you know, so yeah, that's why like, uh, when Raven shadow mentions the next issue, that's directly calling it out. 
And then I like that he leaned into like the focus testing or whatever was going on. Right. So, mm-hmm. uh, so, all right. So issue three, uh, whatever happened to Lee Jackson, uh, released December 99 covered by Peter Steigerwald. Uh, he would work a lot with Aspen comics and Michael Turner. Um, makes sense. Uh, pencils by uh, Christian Zanier. Uh, he did pit number 16. So I thought you'd appreciate that. So he probably had no idea how to like, he's like, there's no script here. It just says fight. I don't know. I'll, I'll guess I'll draw it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I know you, you warned me about that series falling off. I told you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then, uh, inks are done by, uh, it says live say, but the gentleman's name is John live say. Uh, if you go to his Instagram, a lot of cool shit that the guy did. Um, and then, yeah, that's about as far as I got in terms of creators, but I wanted to at least mention, um, uh, Christian Zanier because they, they're going to be doing a lot of the, the pencils for the next, um, like through the next eight. Um, and then also that Steigerwald, uh, cover looks like, it looks like something that would belong to a Neil Gaiman book. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. This is when we meet Raven Shadow. I don't know if he's one of your favorite characters, but I'm sure you'll appreciate his lifestyle. <laughs> it, it is a uh, an uh, an aspirational lifestyle, shall we say? <laughs> <laughs> because Ra- Raven Shadow, in addition to being a goth as hell superhero that is totally leaning into wanting to be a superhero, I mean, again, his re- his real name is um randy fisk but he came up with his superhero identity when he was like 12 of raven shadow and he's kind of like a batman-esque character he's got a cave he has many we find out multiple caves he has multiple caves yeah but uh he's also an artist but i like that somehow he's made this like he's independently wealthy because of his art yeah, I'm sure. I guess that's a thing, you know, hey, like, again, aspirational on behalf of uh, J. Michael Straczynski. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, what do you do art of? I don't know. Just Polaroids of eyes. It's fine. I'll yeah, he does, he, he does a lot of work with eyes and people really like the eyes. And when we're introduced to him, he's surrounded by, you know, a bevy of half naked women. You know, he seems like this living this cool life and everything. But I love the fact that when he wants to have a like have a real conversation with a poet who shows up to tell him his suspicions of what's going on. He has to put on the Raven Shadow outfit, <laughs> yes. which is the mask and everything. He's it's, he's got the cool poses going on, which yeah. is I lo- love also that he just looks like a BDSM goth. Yeah, it's like, but I like that this is like Straczynski's like, oh yeah, I guess I you know this is being published kind of under Image, right? We better get one of these guys. We better well, get, we, yeah, we, I mean, better- <laughs> plus if you read in the Image comics, how many how many long hair black long haired guys <laughs> in trench coats are there in Image books? That's what I'm saying. Like I just like you know like oh you have the darkness, I'll show you the dark. Darkness, you know, like, like, yeah, but yeah, that's whenever like that's, they make the comment about like the billboard with Jason as being flag. Um, but yeah, I think it's funny cause there's that whole thing. It's like, yeah, it's something about that, whatever. So, yeah, but they, they start talking about like, you know, Lee and I like that Raven shadow. He is very much like he is the Batman analog uh, in the sense of like, he still has been doing his own research and always being constantly aware of what's going on. Poet has been too. So you can tell that they're, they're, you know, they're of a kin, right. But, but Raven shadow kind of explains like, I've, I've been able to piece together what happened with Lee. And he's like, there's some stuff there. He's like, I kind of had to assume, but like it, so we get into the story of Lee where he's always on the run and like him, him learning to try to control his powers. It's a very tragic story. And it's, he goes from like, uh, even his father, what was it? I think it was his father tried to, try to kill him in his sleep, I think. Well, it's, yeah. It's kind of ambiguous because yeah. it's the idea of, you know, cause th- it's all based upon Raven shadows, uh, um, 
investigation speculation yeah, about it speculation is it yeah. like is did was his father involved or was it simply the product of a nightmare because when you have these sort of pyrokinetic abilities as a child they're emotion driven you don't have control over them and so the tragedy of lee is that you know he he was the he had to go on the run because he killed his abuser he ended up accidentally killing his parents and then he had to hit the streets and people just assumed that he was dead but, you know, as Raven Shadow said, Lee was smart. Lee managed to survive. And we follow his life as other people are becoming these very prominent figures. And this is where the first time we see Flag, soon to be called something else, uh, uh, facing off against yeah. Pyre. Yeah. You know, the, that's where we get one of the few times where they're doing classic good guy, bad guy, big splash page superhero action. But then you have Lee who's living rough on the streets and it only ever changes when he manages to form a relationship with an elderly woman by the name of, I think it was Eleanor. And yeah, that is also, it's a tragic ending, but again, also uh, drawing from elements of Straczynski's life because Eleanor ends up being killed by a group of uh, just street gang members. Yeah. But she was also like a, like they, they found, a common ground because you find out that she had lost a son in yeah. Vietnam. And so they're they're They were finding a family together, mm-hmm. you know, and Lee finally had some stability. And then, yeah, these, these jackasses harass her and um, that pushes them over the edge. Like, Understandably so, you know. Again, well, they don't just know. harass her; they kill her. Well, yeah, the, yes, fair. Yeah, <laughs> and that that again was pinging me. Oh, this is something from his life because there was actually a time when he was, I think, uh, again college age, uh, just when he got uh, one of his first big breaks for writing. Uh, he got jumped by a gang and oh, almost killed. They they almost beat him to death, and he never found out why. It was just one of those random bits of street violence. Oh, Jesus. And, um, you know, he would talk about later on wanting to kind of do the death wish thing of, of like, I want to kill them. I want to do this thing. And it was, again, it's channeling elements of his pain into this book. Yeah. So like, so this is like, this is a power fantasy in the sense of like, if only he could have, you know, in terms of like, if, you know, meaning, I mean, ultimately, you know, you don't want to do that, but it's a comic book. Like, oh, I'm going to go after the people who did this. And then there's the brief bit too where uh, Lee, there's the kid, there's a kid nearby and he's like, run, get out of yeah. here. Because he's like, well, yeah. Yeah, he tracks down the, the gang leader and kills him and then realizes, oh, the gang leader had a kid. Yeah. And the kid is terrified of him just as Lee was terrified of uh, the guy who abused him. Yeah. And we're going to get some of that um, past facing present, like I think in the next issue as well where there's these flashes of like, I can do better than this or at least, or not make the same mistake. How about that? Mm-hmm. I think that might be fair, but yeah, uh, Lee, uh, he goes out on his own terms. Um, like, unfortunately, you know, like, and that's it. But then what that speaks to is, well, yeah, he also said, what was it? Uh, there's the, they flash back when they're a kid and they're like, uh, he says he wants to be a star. He's like, I want, you know, and it's like, I want to, you know, like, I want to be free. I want to be seen. And like, and then he becomes a star, you know, yeah. <laughs> like he, he blows himself up yeah. with his pyrokinetic ability. And that's, again, it's interesting reading this because there's elements of this kind of as the, the decompressed storyline, you know, he's taking his time setting up these characters and he's also not giving us all of the, all of the information, you know, he's showing us glimpses into these worlds. And yet, at least during uh, this part of the story, 
these are all kind of standalone little stories. They're complete in their own life. You know, mm-hmm. the story of uh, Peter was a complete story. The story of Lee is a complete story. The next issue where we're going to get into, it is a complete story. It's a glimpse into the lives of these people and the tragedy that surrounds them. And that's like why I was saying I felt very, this is very like made for television, right? Totally. Like it's just, you know, so, but then we find out that, the big thing is, is that whenever Lee uh, died, that uh, Raven Shadow was aware that mm-hmm. he, he like he's like, hey, um, yeah, I was able to like you know hella bench a lot of weight, but I was now able to do a lot more, like a little bit more than I could do normally. So yep. yeah, <laughs> just like sweet gains, bro. Anyway, no, uh, so <laughs> no, but he like, he surmised and and Poe's starting to figure this out too, and then we also find out there's um, another party and it's in Shadow for right now, not a Raven Shadow. That when a special of, of the 113, when one like one is like dead, that energy doesn't disappear. It just starts to uh, coalesce around those that are left. Exactly. And they get stronger. And um, it was implied that um, you see that what was it? someone's telling somebody like, oh, we've noticed that um, you've been like the, the, the energy is there, but it's also finite in some yep. ways. So the and, more you use your powers, the more you're using up your powers. Yeah. But if somebody dies, you get their, you get a, a percentage of their powers. Yeah. So that's becoming the motivation, which I don't, I don't know about, about you, but like, like, I really like, I think this is a really cool idea storytelling wise, because it also yeah. gives motivation for why would somebody want to do this? And then too, it's like, that also starts getting into like, it's not, it's not the typical thing you see from like a, a superhero comic. Right, because there it's a collective source for all of them. Not all of them know it though. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you get to later, um, there's going to be reasons why, like you know, maybe some people weren't uh, Flag, maybe some people weren't Matthew Bright for reasons. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, we start to start to figure this out. Um, and then yeah, so so but yeah, Raven Shadow and Poet realize that somebody's out there killing specials, and they're all getting stronger for it, but. Um, it might be something it's going to be like a Thanos problem of like, if we don't stop them now, it might get to be out of hand, you know? Yeah. So, so then, all right. <clears throat> issue four, the, the weird one where it's like, Hey, you work in this office, bring your scrapbook of that time you were at the superhero camp. <laughs> yes. As we're introduced to Kathy, the unspecial special. So one that was grew up with all the other spe- other specials was in utero, just like them. When the meteor came down, she's one of the one thirteen. But who never manifested any powers? Yeah, she's the syndrome. Of, I'm kidding. That's not. <laughs> well, the interesting thing though is that they they do establish that the specials can sense each other. Yeah. So she was still part of their group, uh, and they 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 think they they would have sensed that she was one of them, but she never had any powers. So she was the 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 only one that was kind of more or less normal. But she still grew up with these other specials. Yeah. And so she was a unique perspective, right. To like, kind of be like, I'm like, we're all together, but I'm not the same as them. She's her own type of outcast. Right. Yeah. But she's like going out to like, there's a work function afterwards. And then there's the, the one guy that, you know, the, you know, the Rick Moranis of the group, the IT guy, the IT guy. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and so like, but the thing I like that, the, like her, her boss is like, Hey, bring that book, tell that story. It's like, fine. Like the whole thing of like, you know, it's almost like, um, Hey, you're a child star. Can you tell everybody about that time again? That time that, that, um, that monkey ate the face of your co-star on the set of a sitcom. Can you tell that story again? And anyway, like, fine, I'll tell the story. Um, you know, 
it's it's glory. It's like glory days, right? Mm-hmm. But she was at least at least credit to the way the character presented. She wasn't like she was annoyed that she was being asked about it, or more like sigh. But she wasn't being um, she wasn't talking down to this gentleman, which no. so I like. And he at least seemed like he was actually engaged with her. Um, which, by the way, I mean you know um, she's a tall drink of water, and he's not. And uh, I would be engaged too. I'll just put it yeah. that way. <laughs> she, she's quite attractive. <laughs> That's and her, yeah. again. I, I, I like this. I, I I like the self-contained nature of this of this issue, mm-hmm. but also giving another perspective of how these people grew up. And we also get, you know, a further insight into two of our big damn hero characters, Matthew Bright, the police officer who fled uh, and changed his identity because all he wanted to be was a cop just like his dad, but he was never allowed to. And he ultimately had to give up his secret identity in order to save a bunch of other cops. Mm -hmm. And then he became a super powered cop because the city of New York said, it's like, no, we're going to keep this guy. He's going to be a cop. He's going to be a super powered cop (laughs) for us. Thank you very much. I I like the idea. It's like, well, we can't make you an actual cop. It's like, okay, great. We're going to make you a different badge. I'm like, all right, that makes sense. It's like, (laughs) but it also kind of speaks to like things that are going on in the country today. It's like, oh, well, here's the super secret group you're part of. Like whatever, but yeah, no, but it's like, if you have a super cop on your team and wants to be a super cop, you make him a goddamn badge. You know, that's exactly. like, you know, like I just, I don't know. It seems fair to me, you know, like, uh, but, but then we also get, of course, you know, the, the, the drama aspect of it of, of when Kathy starts talking about, uh, Jason, uh, otherwise known as flag or later on Patriot. Patriot yeah. And again, I love the way that the narrative is, is positioned that, you know, she was his girlfriend and they were inseparable. But then we see from the imagery that, no, she was the wallflower, the one who pined after, you know, the quarterback that the super popular guy and was always overlooked. Whereas he, he was hooking up with, I think it was, it, he was hooking up with Chandra, right? That seemed uh, to be implied there, yeah, right? Yeah, I think so. Cause I mean, she was like her, we've not really talked about her, um, that she, her power, unfortunately is that she looks like the most attractive person to whoever's looking at her, whatever they, whatever they want. That's what she looks like to them. Yeah. And, and meaning that she can never have a, like an honest interaction with anybody, right? Cause they're yeah. fawning over her. Right. So yeah, I think, yeah. Cause I think it's her. Right. So then, and then there's also that overlap talking about that, the, the local, like the, the games and we get like that, we go back to the football game where, was it uh, Peter got run over? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we, a little bit over. I love there. that there's literally a panel where he's laying get, on get the ground. Stepped on. Just running, <laughs> stepped stepping on. right on him. Oh, poor, poor, poor Peter. Peter. <laughs> right. But then uh, this is when we find out how uh, Jason ended up being what he is. Cause he went to, was it Nexus, Nexus Corp? And they're like, Oh, we're looking for this. He's like, well, I can fly. And like, I'm really strong. And I'm cool looking. They're like, oh, we could hire you. It's like, that's like basically walking up to like, you know, like, um, like, like Shell or Exxon Mobil and be like, hey, what could you do? Oh, look at this shit. They're like, all right, you're going to be our hero. You know, like it's just, he gets to play superhero on the company dime and they get to look amazing because of it. And that's yep. the start of him being like, you know, this is what I can do. But yeah. And also really establishing that he became a hero because he loved comic books as a kid, just like Raven shadow. He wanted to be that superhero. And so he became that. So it wasn't like it was kind of a natural thing. You know, one of the things, the, the conceits you have to have with superhero fiction is that uh, there is a more than a few people that think it's a totally natural thing to put on a very brightly colored costume and start being, becoming a vigilante. 
in the world of rising stars, that's weird. So the yeah. people that do it are the people that are incur are inspired to do it by comic books. And you know, Jason was talking about it's like, oh yeah, we're gonna form a team and we're gonna have a secret lair and this is gonna be great. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't work out that way because because yeah, someone's it, like, who's gonna who's gonna fund this? So like a benefactor. Like yeah. <laughs> I mean, could you realize how difficult it would be to uh, get together a superhero team? I have trouble getting together a D and D group. <laughs> yeah. But also like, what's your full-time job? I just fly around stuff. Well, how do we make money off of that? I don't know. Like Bitcoin. I don't know. Like, what do we, we sell NFTs of you doing stuff? I don't know. Anyway. So yeah. And that's why so many superheroes were independently wealthy. <laughs> yes. Right. They realized that even back in the day, yeah. Stan, Stan Lee realized that when, when Spider-Man tried to join the fantastic four and asked about how much he would get paid. Yeah. They're like, uh, what? Yeah. yeah. What? I was like, no, we, we work off a charity. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I got, I got bills to pay anyway. Yeah. So we get that. And then we also, with her, what was it? Uh, talking about like, uh, what was it? She ends up like, um, talking about also about Randy, uh, Raven shadow. Mm -hmm. Um, and some of the, like, so she's always been like, she's the observer. Right. And that's the thing is like, she's our way in to the group aside. Like, She's different than Poet because Poet was told repeatedly, like, you can't have attachments for reasons. And she was like, I could be like, I'm here because we're all together. But it's like, since she wasn't special, her her power, like, well, we'll find, well, she does have a power. We'll get there in a minute. But her power was just like being like a regular person growing up and just observing. Mm -hmm. And like, and but also like not being like dismissed from the group. It's just, it's a, it's a, it's a really cool perspective that I'm glad Straczynski wrote about, um, because it also gives us as a reader coming into this, that a little bit more knowledge of what's going on. Um, yeah. so, and then we also learn more about, uh, what's her name? Uh, was it, uh, uh, the, the, the girl that could, uh, manipulate small objects. Oh, uh, uh yeah, yeah. Laurel Darkhaven. Yes. And how, um, but, but credit to him too. You would think, well, that's a dumb power. Nope. It is one of the scariest goddamn things. Well, as somebody said, quote, the carotid artery is a very small object <laughs> that you, if you pinch it closed with just a thought, you could shut down the brain and or the blood and, and route no the one brain. could prove that you did it. You exactly. Know? So, so she has very small telekinetic abilities, but if you use it right and you get employed by like the CIA. Yep. Yeah, and you're being like, you know, like an attractive lady that can get places. Yeah, for sure. Right. And then we also have talking more about sanctuary, um, that we'll get to him in a minute too. Like his, like he's always been like, his burden is that he is basically the son of God, right? Yeah. Like, uh, re but his powers are just flying in light. He is like dazzler, but without like the cool music. Right. Yeah, the, kid, right. uh, the kid raised by the ultra conservative religious parents and, you know, integrated into their big mega church. Yeah. And again, kind of pointing to where we're going when he was initially introduced. And this is my own bias is coming in. I'm thinking, oh, God, he's going to be this whack job religious guy. And, you know, he's going to be this dark, evil character. Straczynski swerved me. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, like that's. Well, there, there's more to sanctuary later. We'll get there. Uh, yeah. like, uh, but, but then also there was, was it the one, the one kid was a David, the one that could like reach into minds. We get yeah, his brief he, could, story. he could control people, but as long as he was within, within close proximity of them and he kind of mind meld with people. Yeah. With the exception of trying to stop his mom from uh, committing suicide and he was in her brain when it happened. Yeah. That was harsh. That was really harsh. <laughs> yeah. Easy kill though. 
<laughs> you know, like, very like, much so. <laughs> but that's the thing; he's not technically dead at this point. Yeah. He's just catatonic. Yeah, but then he gets he gets killed. So yeah, uh, yeah. we do we. But she, but our our character doesn't know this. But anyway, there's a whole thing where she overhears um, when they're younger a conversation between Wells and Poet. A little bit more about that, so we learn more about their relationship and also that that dynamic. Um, we get to the end. Um, it guys like, hey. Uh, can we go out again? I know I'm like six foot shorter than you. And she's like, ah, for a second. But then she sees her, like, that's what's talking about the past reflecting. Mm-hmm. It's another one of those moments of like, at first she was kind of like, I don't know about this, but she's like, you know what? I was overlooked. Yeah, let's do it. And yeah, she like, give it a shot. Yeah. And it's like, you made Breckenmeyer the happiest guy in the world. Here. Um, <laughs> the IT guy got the girl. I appreciated it. <laughs> Right. But then as they're like, you know, walking about, she's like, he's like something about like, you know, maybe, you know, they're talking about like, well, great. You know, maybe being not special is pretty great anyway. Right. Whatever. So then, uh, in the background, a cat, as they do runs across the street, gets hit by a car, uh, as they do, unfortunately. And, uh, she's saddened by this as you should be. And then she went to go touch the cat and was like, Oh, there's nothing we could do for it. And then he's like, well, you know, let you know, let's, if you could turn back time or whatever. And as they're leaving, we realize that she does have a power that she's not aware of. And yeah, that's resurrection. That she, can, she can heal people or yeah. the cat. Yeah. So, and they, they talk about that. It's the idea that all of these people have powers, but it requires a kind of an inciting incident for them to sort of trigger. Yeah. And in her case, she just never was exposed to that, that inciting incident. So she has these amazing abilities, you know, heal and maybe bring back the dead but she didn't realize it because she never encountered anything dead before. Yeah, there was and a, yeah, there was a even Marvel. Even then, she didn't realize that she brought the cat back. <laughs> right. Uh, there was a Marvel. It was the. Uh, it wasn't uh, a main series. It was part of um, a new universe, maybe mm-hmm. uh, called Strike Force Moratari. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that right, but the idea was in this world, uh, there's an alien attack, and we couldn't respond in kind to their technology. However, somebody developed a process that could. Um, Potentially, it was like basically giving them like a different uh, metabolism. It's silly, right? But it could force uh, the p- p- uh, possibility of powers okay. to come in. But the problem is, is that it was an unstable process, and that people at most would have a year to live after. Because mm. uh, the tagline for the uh, series was uh, "For those about to die." So okay. what would happen is these people would go through the moratory process. And like in the moment, like they went through it, they'd be put into like this basically like danger room of like um, experiences to see what would trigger their power set. Mm. Uh, Cause it's like the, the, the moment we know what you can do, we can get you out on the front line to fight this, this problem. Right. Sure. And it was, it was a, like, I really dug it because some people would be around for like, you know, like the full year, some of them would be gone in like three issues because like, you know, it was unstable process. But the person that was like, basically like the Nick Fury leader of the group, um, she underwent the process and didn't tell anybody. And then like, because she found out like her ability was to make flowers bloom. Oh no. And so it was like one of those things where it's like, it's like she was staying a leader, but she understood that like, she couldn't bring anything other than like, you know, I can make gardens look beautiful. You know, it's yeah. like, it's just cool, cool book, a little wobbly. Right. But I really dug like the idea of like, they already know that like the clock's ticking. And, and so, I got some of the vibes from this too, where it's like, you don't know what you're getting. You don't know the stresses that will bring it out, you know? And it was also a finite amount of people because who wants to be like, yeah, I'll fight on the front lines. How long am I going to live? A year or less? Cool. You know, like what, what are my powers? 
um, I can, you know, I can always uh, pump gas and get to like, you know, an even number, you know, (laughs) 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 or whatever. Right. Like, I don't know. Like, you know, um, I just, whatever. Anyway. So, all right. Issue five, uh, the world between, right. So we're going to get this. This is when we're getting to more of where the story's going. Like, so there's well, two this characters. one's actually where it yeah. really surprised me because, again, I'd only read the first four issues of this book. That's fair. All right. So this is all so new territory. Okay. This good. is new territory for me. And one thing I wasn't expecting them to do as early as they did was reveal the mystery. Right. Because issue five points out, nope, we're solving the mystery. It's issue five. We're going to tell you who, kill, who uh, killed these, these heroes. Yeah. So like that's, so then, but there's two specials that uh poet is trying to get in contact with that we find out about, um, that have, uh, different skill sets, but have particular, like they have similar walks of life, right? Yep. Like, uh, yeah. Sorry. Clarence Mack, the dream walker and Lionel Zerb, the dead talker. <laughs> right. But like, so the whole thing with like, um, with Lionel though, at least he, um, he, like was able to, cause he goes into people's dreams and can see what's going on. Oh, that's Clarence. Who sorry, Clarence. That. Sorry, Clarence. I'm sorry. They look almost the same too, but like, anyway, yeah, so, um, that, but, and that yeah. is a kind of a comment on some of the, some of the art style on this. Yeah. There is a tendency for some of the art on this to look kind for the people to look kind of samey. Fair enough. I mean, there are some times where they're able to kind of physically distinguish people, but there are certain shots where you're just like, particularly in the next issue where you have like three blonde guys, where it's like, <laughs> wait, who's who? Yeah. Like three blonde guys, the precursor to four non-blondes, right? Three I know. Right? Blonde guys. <laughs> uh, they opened for, uh, what was it? Uh, Nova Placenta or whatever. Anyway. So, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, Clarence though, like at least he realized that he can do something with his ability. And so he ends up like actually like getting a degree in psychology and is trying to help people work through their shit. So I yeah. respect that. Uh, and then Zerb is like, you know, no one would believe me that I could see dead people. Um, and then eventually you did. And I'm just haunted as fuck. Right. Like that's well, what you threw it. You I dropped did. it. I did it. I did it. I did it. But you know, anyway, so, but, but, um, but yeah, poets like, you know, I got to cut it. Like these are the two guys that like one, can reach into people's subconscious and to somebody that can talk to the dead. Both of those would be really applicable skill sets to try to figure out what's going on. Right. So, and in the process, we learn more about poet one. We learn he's not a great writer. We know that. There's a, there's a whole thing about the fact that his, his editor didn't like the fact that he used the word dragon. Yeah. It, or, Cause it rhymed with flagon. Do you know how many words rhyme with flagon? I had so many to go off of. Yeah. And he's like, well, what about wagon? They're like, well, it was a fire breathing wagon. And he's like, and yeah. like, yeah, but I like that. Uh, Clarence is like, Oh yeah. Let me go into your dreams, AKA reality and show what happened. But yeah. Um, yeah. Clarence and, um, and, and poet aren't exactly uh, best buds, but poet isn't really best buds with anybody, which we know that. Well, and we find out why Clarence isn't best buds with poets because he knows what poet's deal is. He knows mm-hmm. the fact that, yeah, what poet's whole purpose is. Well, and been, we'll find yeah, out that later. Yeah, but yeah, he's been dreaming, like his dreams show like his the worst possible outcome. Right. Mm-hmm. And so he doesn't trust him. But I also like that, like, uh, at one point, like, uh, you know, uh, poets, like, have you been looking at my dreams? He's like, no. And he's like, well, how would you know any of this? Well, let me tell you about Chandra. <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you about the hot girl that likes you. Yeah. Um, and that's, yeah. that's again, one of those that, that uh, experience or exploring the tragedy of so many of these characters where you have Chandra, who is this woman who her power is. Anybody who sees her, as we said before, 
will view her as the most desirable person ever. And so she's managed to play off of that to live a very extravagant kind of lifestyle. But she's constantly surrounded by men that she insists they all wear masks. So just as she is kind of anonymized to them because there's no guarantee that they're seeing the real her. They're just seeing the most desirable woman ever. But it also allows her to anonymize them so she can see her the object of her desire which is poet yeah I, just uh, just a interesting character bit dig it you know like i wouldn't have thought about this you know and it also it's a very striking image that if you get if this was a tv show or a movie and you kind of presented this a little bit without context before explaining it really like really unnerving Right. Yeah, yeah. Heavy eyes wide shut vibes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so we get that. So then, at the, but we also find out that like after, um, you know, was it Clarence? Like we talked to poet about what's going on. He's been hiding something. Cause he started like searching around and mm-hmm. to figure out like, you know, well, who, who could this be? Who might be doing this? And then he, he went into the wrong, he went, well, he went into the right mind, but at the wrong time. Yeah, because he discovered after he was dipping into the minds of people that he thought could be responsible, he decided to go into the mind of Jason Miller, otherwise known as Flag, and discovered, oh, hell, that's the guy who killed Peter. And unfortunately, Flag realized that he was in his mind, and then he went after Clarence. And that's when we discover that where we thought that, uh, you know, Poet was just had tracked down Clarence, Clarence is dead. And really what Poet did is he tracked down Lionel, the guy who could talk to the dead, to put him in contact with Clarence. Yeah. Uh, cool. Like, I, Very it's cool. A, it's, it's, a, it's a double shift, right? But also, like, I like that we get um, we get uh, Flag being like full Homelander. Like oh, just, yeah. Oh, Home, my gosh. Years before yeah, Homelander. Homelander right? we, again, like, we were yeah. talking about various things that were inspired by rising stars. The boys can definitely be counted amongst that. Uh, another big one for that heroes. Just, yeah. just watch heroes. And it's just like, Oh yeah, they, they just basically took rising stars. It's the deep space nine of <laughs> rising stars. But Again, yeah, don't yeah. get me wrong. I love deep space nine. And I remember enjoying, I think the first two seasons of heroes. And then it kind of <laughs> yeah, went off the cliff. <laughs> Hero, heroes frustrated me when they would do like the fake, like Batman serial cliffhangers. Yeah. Where it was like, oh shit, this is bad. And it's like, wait, the next thing you're showing me doesn't match up with like the cliffhanger you gave me. I don't like you anymore. I was Didn't really get out of the cock of duty car. Yeah, that's exact. Yes. Right. <laughs> so, cause there's a whole thing involving, was it, um, uh, the cheerleader, uh, hate was it Hayden Pantiera where it's like, she had like got like, like a, a stick in the back of her head and it's like, oh, that's bad. Cause it stabbed her in the brain. And then like the next episode, it's like, it didn't do that much to her. It's like, no, 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 no. She died. She yeah. died. And you showed me something different. Start anyway. So in here, yeah. but you could tell that like, um, that Clarence, even whenever, like, you know, like poets, like, yeah, we can let him go. And, um, like there's that line there. Where it's like, Hey, just, just know that you were a hero. And he's like, yeah, whatever. Like mm-hmm. just, he's so like annoyed and disappointed. Right. But then we talked to, um, uh, the other gentleman, uh, um, uh, Zeb, right. And you can tell that he's like, yeah, this is messed up. Like, what are you going to do about it? He's like, I don't know. I'm going to go figure it out. But then Zeb's like, you know, I got a lot of people to talk to. Right. <laughs> and Which, here, yeah, go ahead. Well, just resulting in that last page yes. where all of the dialogue is reversed. So here's the thing that I want to tell you that if you ever get a chance to, to read a physical copy of this, mm-hmm. you take the page where you see Zeb sitting by himself, 
in the room and turn it slightly to the light, all that reverse dialogue with what he's being haunted by shines through. Yeah. Which is such a clever conceit. I mean, I could imagine how that would work on the page. Yeah. Um, it what was I had really, to do really was, cool. Yeah. I had, to li- I had to line it up. It's like, okay, uh, there's that negative space. Okay, that's where it is. And ultimately what I did is I took a photo of the dialogue with my phone. Yeah. And then uh, flipped it. Flipped it so I could read yeah. it. No, because it's like there's a little bit there that makes sense, right? Because we get we even get Clarence like talking to Zeb. But like in terms of when I first read it and I realized what was going on, I just moved the page. It's like – that's such a cool idea because it's so it, clever. It, yeah. And it's like, God damn, like that. You can't get that digitally. No, you no, know, it, you really can't. Cause it, it shows, it's like, how else do you show ghosts in a comic book? Right. Yep. Like, and it's like, it's such a cool moment where, yeah. But like, uh, Lionel's like, yeah, well, all right, never mind. Uh, poets getting the war he wants. We're all dead. Or <laughs> whatever. Like basically, you know, <laughs> like, so, but yeah, we now figure out that a uh, flag, uh, is the guy behind it, which again, you said that was your first time like exposed to that in terms of that, that twist. Did you like that? It's like, like it almost feels like, uh, I know you are a big champion of like poker face, the series on NBC where it's like, we're going to tell you the person that did this early. Mm-hmm. Like now, what do you do about it? Well, and that's the thing. I was expecting it to be dragged out longer. You know, the, 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 this would be a bit, cause I knew going in that this was a finite series, 24 issues, and it's going to be a complete story. So, Going in with that kind of expectation, I was expecting the mystery to last longer. And because we already know at the beginning, poet's the last one, right? Exactly. And, yeah. So yeah, yeah. But the fact that they reveal it in issue five, and by by design, you know, the when we when you said that this is a three part story, that is exactly as Straczynski wrote it. You know, it's uh, th- and it's a story in three parts. The first part being these first eight issues. So this is the way he conceived it. It's like okay. Where are we going to go from here? Yeah. And we find out, right? So we do. Yeah. And then, uh, that's opening up with issue six, which is the part one of three. The next three issues are, p- are part of a long story called things fall apart, which we could probably talk about the story as a whole instead of going issue by issue at this point, since it's all one story at this so point. So I did want to mention though. So I forgot to mention this. Uh, so, um, uh, issue three came out December 99. Issue four came out January 2000. Makes sense. The um, issue five we just talked about was March 2000. Okay. Delay there. And then, then somehow they were able to keep the train on the tracks for the next three. So it was April, May, and June. Okay. <laughs> Which, Good. and after then, I, after that, I assume they took a break because at the end of like issue eight, it's like, we will now take a 15 minute, minute intermission. So it's like, does that yeah. mean they're going on hiatus for a little bit? Well, I mean, the story moves 10 years after that. So, oh, okay. <laughs> Because I literally stopped reading it at issue eight, and I have to Good. say that this is going to be hard for me because I really want to continue the story, but I also know I should probably hold off until we're ready to record the next episode. Fair enough, but yeah, no, it leaves you on a bit like a, a good cliffhanger, right? Good not cliffhanger, uh, not, yeah. not heroes, right? So, yeah, this this I feel like this is the this is the dessert that you get for doing your meat and potatoes of the first five, right? Yeah. Like, because this actually is coming up like this is getting to like even though the story is always told like you know past perspective of poet. This feels like like the more comic booky thing of like three distinct issues back to back to back where you're not jumping around time, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. Anyway, so yeah. Let let's get into this. We get to the big announcement that uh, Flag has changed his name out of respect uh, to Patriot uh, to Homelander. I'm kidding to Patriot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then, but poets in the in the in the, um, in the audience waiting because he's like, I know Jason's up to the shit. I'm gonna go take him out. Which, well, I guess my one thing is like. If they could all sense each other, which has been established, 
wouldn't, I don't know. I think it's just more like he's pissed, right? And he's not thinking straight. That's probably what, uh, the way I'll treat it. Um, but yeah, he's, we, we find out that like poet can, like he can manipulate this energy and like kind of charge up and can like, and actually discharge it. And he may not be the strongest or fastest, but since he's the one that can actually execute this force, he could take them all on. Yeah, and that's and that's one of the big kind of twists because we're it's alluded to earlier that he you know he has this energy manipulation power, and it's not viewed as being like well over the top. He messes with electronics, but there's this through line in the first uh, uh, four, four or five issues of talking about that he has greater capabilities. And then it's eventually revealed that his energy manipulation extends to the energy that powers all of them. Yeah. I forget exactly how the doc describes it, but it's the idea that the other people's powers flow from the energy. Poet's power is the energy itself. Yeah, and he's, so, he's been described he, – like the doc, doctor believes he's the failsafe. Exactly. Yeah. So it's the idea – he is literally the guy that that is – that the doc positioned – to take out everybody else if necessary, because at the end of the day, he could, yeah. because he has the ability to manipulate the force that gives them the power. He can wreck everybody. Yeah. Cool idea. Like, I, just, I know I keep saying like, cool, cool. I love the series. Yeah. So yeah, he tracks down uh, a Patriot like behind the scenes and Patriot's like, no, uh, no autographs, please. Whatever. <laughs> right. And then, yeah. but poet's like, no, 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 we got business here. And then he realizes that that's not actually Jason. But he's like, shit, I've hit like Super Saiyan. I got to get rid of this energy somehow. And so he like, he just grabs like, what was it? Some girders like near a construction site. And he's like, I got to get rid of this. And then like, he causes an earthquake. <laughs> like, and again, it's, it's such a wonderful tease of where, where his power really is. That he is actually incredibly powerful, but he's been holding back yeah. because that's what he does. But then we get a cool narrative shift here that I like the way it's shown on the panel where you see Poet's thought process and it fades away and gets smaller and smaller. And then that's when we actually follow Jason mm -hmm. on, on his part of uh, what he's going to respond to. Um, and I like he's wearing some uh, 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 khakis. Um, yeah, he's just dr up, dressed you know. casually. He's not yeah. wearing his uniform, but that that page of him, you know, framed against the flag. It's, yes, it's it's the it's the hero shot because you know that's how it shows him, and then you know it shows him reconnecting with his old childhood friends, which include Joshua Kane, the uh, levitating light guy, who's the son of the of the religious nut, and then also Jerry, who's Pyre. Yeah, the other the other person that has the fire powers we didn't talk about. Yep. Yeah. Well, we've seen at various points, and if you had read like issue one half, you would have seen you know an, uh, a story between Jerry and Jason about their their fights that have gone on for a long time. But at least in the context of these issues, it's basically presented that he is he has been the villain over the next uh, over the last few years. He's been working with cr uh, various criminal enterprises. He's been fighting fl uh, flag over the years. Now patriot. But when oh, when they're away from the cameras, these three were friends. Yeah. They were the three J's, you know, and they the, uh, Jason, Jerry, and Joshua together again, just like the old days. But like even before, like whenever uh, Sanctuary goes to the top of the Sanctuary, uh, his dad still gives like just like you know gives him shit. It's like God, I just it's like you realize that like you are you're not beholden to him, but you know 
that's the way these power structures work. Right. And mm-hmm. it's very, very frustrating, but yeah. So yeah, Jason's like, yeah, Oh shit. We gotta, we all gotta get together, get in front of this thing. What's going on? It's like, I don't know. Poet, poet seems kind of mad and might attack the government or whatever. He's like, you know, like they come up with this idea of like all oh, the other specials are going to turn. We got to get in front of that and got to convince the government that we're right. Yep. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's how Jason sells them on the idea. It's like, look, we're going to lose this power. We have, we, this is finite. And if the word got, got out, then people is going to, are going to start coming after us or the, the other specials are going to start coming after us. We have to get ahead of this. And so they form a conspiracy. They hook up with the religious authority represented by Joshua's father, mm-hmm. who in turn leans upon political authorities to set up this essentially task force to take on the rest of the specials. But this is also where there they I uh, alluded to before the swerve of uh, mm-hmm. Straczynski in the presentation of Joshua Kane. That so much of how he had been presented earlier, even down to issue one, where there was the quick shot of him grown up and, you know, he's in shadow and he's got the cross on him. I was expecting him to be like this religious zealot superhero, which could be terrifying in its own right. Until we find out that much like all of these guys, there's more going on beneath the surface. Yeah, it's just his pose in that that original shot is much more reluctant, right? Like it's just and we find out why. But even even the other two J's talk about like, hey, you know, the thing we saw. That we don't know what it is. And they, they don't reveal yeah. it in this co- issue. They might reveal it later on, but I'm just going to put out a guess. He's gay, right? Um, We'll get there when we get okay. there. How about that? Fair um, enough. Yeah, I don't want to. No, no, no. Because like, I don't want to ruin anything. You said don't ruin anything. I don't want to like, no, but um, okay. yeah. Um, the heavy implication. And that's, again, one of the things where Jason talked about how he knew Jerry wasn't a bad guy mm-hmm. because they discovered what Joshua had under his bed. But Jerry never told anybody. Yeah. Um, it, it, it plays a part in part two. I'll just say okay. that. So I'm not going to like, I don't want to ruin. I don't want to ruin all because that goddamn like that, that metal section is it's, it's a humdinger. So yeah. Um, so yeah. So they go to, they go to the, you know, co- Congress and you know, Jerry Falwell's like, Oh, we got to do all this. And then the, the you know, whatever. <laughs> I, I like that. His father is like, like you see the artwork for him. It's like, he's steepling his fingers and it's like, you like, we, we understand that you're a bad guy, but could you look any more like a bad guy? Yeah, definitely. All right. Like <laughs> even brother love look believable. If you didn't hear him talk, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> well, it's the thing. It's like n- the specials aren't necessarily, uh, easily divided into, you know, good guy, bad guy, paradigm, superheroes, super villains, but that's not to say there aren't villains in the story. And the Reverend Kane, yeah, he's definitely a villain. Yeah, and then the way that the government's ready to automatically assume the worst. Because totally. that means they can move in and it's like, well, if we have some people under like uh, on our side, then we can do this. And also, too, we I don't think like we don't get into it here. And it's also something that happens in Watchmen where it's like with the Dr. Manhattan problem of like, if he's not pro-America, that's a problem. Yeah. You know, like so it's like if these people are coming to us that we can't control. Like literally, we literally cannot control these people, but they're sympathetic to like to our wants and needs. We're gonna play ball, right? Yeah. Like that's um, yeah. <laughs> Again, the boys, right? With um, what, what's the name of the company? Anyway, but it's like the whole like their company. It's like oh, we're pro democracy if it's what we want, you know. <laughs> like so, but I like um, whenever they bring in Matthew Bright and the the image. I, I, I'm sure you see the artwork. It's 
like I don't mind it, but it's like it looks like the politicians reaching for his junk. It's a little oh, weird. it totally looks like he's reaching for his junk. <laughs> also, it's, it's, what's, it's, unfor- what's, it's unfortunate placement of what's, that. What's but, with the one vein going through the bicep too? I don't understand all of that. But anyway, it's, well, it, it's the superhero shot. You know, it's again where where most of the imagery of this is very grounded. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, there are the kind of nods towards the superhero genre, oh, and you know, Bright is one of those traditional superhero type guys. He's given that hero moment there and one almost wonders if they uh, deliberately made it over the top as a pseudo parody of superhero comics oh absolutely and even his his outfit is very much like you know i mean we get it like his, his name's bright you know, he's a cop like i mean i i straczynski I, like I, we get it like i mean i'm not upset about it i dig it and also like bright you've never you never see like you, you don't get the idea like he's an asshole you know, it's, no, but, but he, he, he seems like a good guy. Yeah. Right. So then, uh, yeah. Uh, part two, which I know we've already kind of like, by the way, it's that first shot of, uh, Patriot and his whole gear. Oh, I, yeah. I love, I love the design. It's just that the more like we go along in our stupid political climate, the more I'm like, I can't, no, I can't do this, <laughs> you know? but it's like, <laughs> you know, like what's his well, name? And again, this was, this was years yeah. before that started becoming a, a thing, a yeah. kind of, of really established thing. Yeah. You know, people were talking, you, you mentioned before the home, Homelander thing. Yeah. Straczynski was doing this decades before. Like if you called him Mega Man, people like, oh yeah, I get it. It's fine. I understand. (laughs) Anyway, but the cover art for this though, where it's the mother with child and all these guns are being pulled on her is striking. So, oh yeah. 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 So then we find out like, because now they have the authority of the government, um, they're rounding up all the rest of the specials. Good. Like, like even if like, regardless of power level, Right. And so, and Patriot is the one that's leading the charge. So of course he has to be right. He's, he looks, he, you know, he looks the part. And this uh, is accomplishing what he wanted. Cause again, his whole motivation is he's losing his powers. And if lower level, if other specials die, the powers get redistributed. So by rounding up these, these heroes, he knows some of them are going to, going to run. Yeah. Some of them are going to try to escape and thus he can use this opportunity to kill them and thus, you know, extend his powers. Yeah. There's the bit where the one dude just flies out in his boxers. Right. And, um, yeah. the, cause the line is, uh, even some of the low level people were pretty fast, but not as fast as, uh, you know, as him. And yep. that guy was like, leave me alone. I didn't do anything. And then, uh, and then, uh, Jason's like, I know. And yeah, just he's goes, just whispering. What's yeah. again? It's it's that nuance of characterization mm-hmm. that he what he he is a villain villainous character, but Straczynski refuses to paint him with broad strokes. That yeah. you do get the sense that part of him hates himself for what he is doing because these are people he grew up with. He knows them all by name. Yeah, but he he's so obsessed with the idea of being the superhero that he can't he can't let go of it well, I mean, and he me, will me, kill yeah. to keep it going. It, well, even I even say like, maybe like it's just, he's not, he's being straight faced about it, which is, I yeah. think a little different than like being like, I'm doing it for the American way. It's like, nah, you're a high C, you know, juice box. I'm going to drink you. You're like, yeah. cause you're, you're a means to an end. And cause I like being me and I gotta, I gotta drink your milkshake. I'm mixing metaphors here. But anyway, so <laughs> uh, we have, we have pyre, Going to was it the Raven Shadow cave or whatever, right? And uh, trying to get Raven Shadow, and I like that Pyre's like, "Oh shit, there's a bomb!" 
and he he beats feet and warns everybody else out, warns everybody else, doesn't grab the guys in the, the chamber. Nope. <laughs> he just he gets out of there himself. <laughs> and they do see some of them escaping, but you know some of them had to oh, die no, in that right? explosion, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I like that um, that uh, Raven Shadow has like multiple Raven Caves or whatever, Shadow, Shadow Caves. Shadow Caves. <laughs> That's God damn it. I love, I just, it's so stupid. I want, I like, I'm, I'm not the big figure collector like you or Steve, but I would get a Raven shadow figure. Um, I'm pretty sure they actually made one. I'm pretty sure they made uh, rising stars action there, figures. Years ago, there was uh, an Akron rubber city comics when they opened. Uh, I was down there for the, like that day. And there was a bust of Patriot. Like it was just his head and like his shoulders. Mm-hmm. I almost pulled the trigger on it. Cause it's oh, like, nice. when you, I was like, when are you going to find this? Right. It was not that big. You know, but I was like, who, who makes this, you know? And I, I didn't do it at the time, but it was cool. Right. But yeah, I would, I would get a Raven shadow figure. I would, I would get, I would get a, I would get a Patriot figure. Like, I mean, he's problematic, but it's a cool design. Right. Like anyway, like, you know, all of them have pretty cool designs. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so we got, uh, you know, the Raven caves or whatever. Right. And then, so they're coordinating with him and poet and, uh, Chandra to try to get like the remaining specials like out West. And she, she's like, I know somebody. It's like, yeah, all dudes fawn on you and they want to give you whatever they want because like you look like the woman that they, like she understands her influence. Like yeah. credit to her, make your money. Don't care. You know, like, like meaning no judgment, not, not don't care. Like in terms of story, like, like if you're cursed with this, at least live comfortably. <laughs> you know, like, that's <laughs> like, I mean, heaven forbid. Right. Like, so, but like they, they supposedly find an area like in, uh, that, that they can go to. And it's like, don't tell anybody because they'll, they'll find us and they want to eliminate us. And that's when Chandra and poet have a moment, right? She like finally admits. And he also kind of lets his vulnerability a little bit. It's like, he's never been allowed to care for anybody. And then to find out that she's been secretly pining after him. It's a sweet moment. Yeah. It's again, it's that moment of vulnerability, but you will, you're left with the, the pseudo thought of, is he really considering the relationship or is he just telling her what he wants, what she wants to hear in order to get her moving? I don't know. I think it's hard to say. I think he does care, but, uh, but then we, but then we get bright showed up with his hero pose. Right. Like, and, (laughs) um, but I like that brights like, you know, like, um, Hey, I'm basically, you know, like, like I, he's not like, he's basically Superman. Same thing as like Patriot, but it's like, I feel like he's more like Green Lantern where it's like, Hey, I'm showing up with this kind of full bodysuit thing going yeah, on. Yeah. Well, and it's the idea. It's like, <laughs> look, man, you, you manipulate energy. I'm stronger than you. I'm faster than you. We both know how this is going to end. Don't make me do this. You know, you're, you're the bad guy because that we find out, you know, that, uh, bright had been lied to. That uh, he had been told that it was poets going around killing people in order to consolidate this sort of power. Yeah. Um, so Bright is believes he's in the right that he's going to bring this guy in, but you know he recognizes that poet is a guy he grew up with. This and he doesn't want to hurt him, but he will because you know that's the right thing to do. So he charges right at him and then promptly gets put through a wall because poet does not mess around. And this is where we find out what the nature of his power. Yeah. He can directly manipulate the force that powers everybody else, which means that when he hits people, they feel it. Yeah. He's kind of like the captain Marvel or like quasar, like, yeah. like or like whatever, like Nova. I don't know. But like, yeah, but the fact that like bright's like, Oh shit. Like, you know, like, it's just like, it was one of those things where it's like, it's almost like, 
you you made me bleed my own blood. Like what's going on here, right? Like it's just so. But their throwdown is pretty pretty substantial. But it also keeps mirroring their relationship growing up. Um, yeah, like because I know the the argument always was in terms of like in terms of the world that we know, it was always Matt and Jason were the two mm-hmm. like the two strongest, right? And it's like, yeah, you didn't consider the like the source, right? And but like and even poet like as much as yeah. You might argue that like he's been waiting for this moment because he's been like like this is what he's been raised to do. That doesn't mean he enjoys it, but there's also a certain bit of like finally I can show people what I can do. Like believe me, you know? But he's also like bright. I'm going to put you down. I don't want to kill you, but just please stay down. Just stay yeah. down. And I I love that that final bit where it's just like, you know what? If if I was the man you thought I was, if I was the guy going around killing people, You'd be dead right now. Yeah. I'm not that guy. I'm going to let you live. It's Jason who's doing this. I'm dropping you now. Bye. Yeah. Later. <laughs> but yeah. that that in turn actually makes things kind of worse because now poets – and you have to remember all of these people grew up in the public eye. People know who these people are and they know what their powers are. Nobody has ever seen you know poets do this kind of thing. So clearly he's been hiding powers uh, what if the rest of them are hiding powers? Now we have justification to go after all of them with deadly force. Yeah. So then we get to the the last issue of this arc, and 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 I've I've enjoyed this conversation immensely so far. So like I just I and of course I'm talking to one of my best friends and best buds. Oh, and yeah. But just like thank you. But the the cover for Rising Stars Eight does that not give you that Watchmen vibe when they were trying to be the Minutemen or whatever it was called? Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 the one the the one times where you actually get the the heroic pose shots of all the characters, yeah. and then of course there's that uh, terror going through yeah. it. So, uh, so part three we have the Doctor on the run. Um, and his really nice car, I guess a BMW. Good on him. I guess. I guess. I guess if you're being awarded the government for years and years and years, right? So, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the, anyway, um, but then we we have a flashback of him talking to was it uh, was it Bright Matthew Bright. Mm-hmm. He's like, hey, you want to go flying? He's like, sure. Maybe not. I don't know. But then we see his clipboard. He's like, you know, doing the Batman thing of like, oh. You know, uh, uh, dry cleaning bag, fat kid will kill him, you know, whatever, you yep. know, like, uh, um, you know, like he, he's having to care about all of them, but also acknowledge their weaknesses. And that's, that's a t- very telling shot. Like, and, and sorry, layout, I, I dig it, but bright. And I love, I, mean, I understand the name is very much on purpose. He is the most hopeful of all of them. And he believes in the system. Right. And it's like, but he's like, but he doesn't seem like he understands that he is special, but it's like, because his father was a police officer without powers, Mm -hmm. um, that he's like, yeah, like this is cool. Can I show you the cool things I can do as opposed to I'm better than you? That's the vibe I get from bright the entire time. Like he is the joy. He is the joyous Superman type where uh, Patriot is like, you know, the Zack Snyder Superman. Yeah. That's well put. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> kind of yeah anyway yeah so but then we get like we get the doctor in in prison held like whatever held up right and then they're they're corralling all of um like there's the other gentleman we see now that was part of the original roundup of the kids when they went to peterson right the, that point of contact the thunderbolt ross if you will mm-hmm. and they're talking back and forth back and forth and the rest of the specials are being round up and that's when we meet the new character that um yeah who who do we meet here in the cell we meet a girl by the name of uh, Stephanie Mass. 
Now, Stephanie uh, claimed that she never really had any powers. You know, she she was uh, just like um, Kathy, mm-hmm. that, you know, she didn't, she didn't really have any powers. Except as the doc is talking to her, we're noticing something weird about Stephanie, that it, when it's going from panel to panel, she's looking different from panel to panel. And all of a sudden, the doc realizes this, and he's like, oh, crap. Because the doc <laughs> understands what's going on. Yeah. And he knows, as we find out, that Stephanie had trauma in her past life. And that resulted in what was referred to in the comic the, uh, as multiple personality th- disorder. These days, I believe the uh, correct – the preferred term is disassociative identity yeah. something. Something like that syndrome maybe. So some of the terminology that's in this book going forward, it's it's not – it, it was of the time. It was yeah, not. I mean, it, was, it wasn't again, meant to be harmful. I, I still, yeah, I, I still find myself saying multiple personality because that's the terminology I was raised with. Yeah, but yeah. It's, it's we have to acknowledge it's not the preferred terminology. And then he realizes that th- because this identity p- pops out is is becoming more powerful. That's tied into her power set. He realizes that the power is uh, getting redistributed amongst all the other supers. And if that gets redistributed, that could potentially end up with some really bad consequences because people that were previously extremely low powered all of a sudden can tip over into high powered. Yeah. Which we're about to find that cascade effect soon. Right. So we're at, yeah, um, yeah I just, um, I'm so like her, she's the wild card, right? She's the, the Charlie Kelly wild card bitches of <laughs> what's going on here. Right. But then, well, and I, and I love the fact that her, eventually her, her name becomes critical mass because right? the, the one person's name is Stephanie mass. Her alternate personality is critical mass. It's, it's like, it's, ah, it's pretty funny. badass. Like I can't deny that. Right. Like, cause she right. overhears him saying it and he's like, she's like, you know what? I dig it. You know, like, I love yeah. it. It's like, yeah, that's fair. So we're at this compound where the, the rest of the specials, like, that we're not rounded up um, are, like, with Poet and Chandra. And then we get, like, undiscriminate guy in a turtleneck sweater uh, accusing uh, Poet of, like, I don't know, it's, it's whatever. It's like, you put us at risk. And then he's that asshole that ends up, like, calling his family or his mother-in-law or whatever to, like. On an unsecured line. Yeah. And but while this is going on, we know that the the government is like deploying troops to go after a group of the specials. We don't know where they're going until. And I, I love the way this is paced out. It's a it's a credit to Straczynski as a writer. Um, the fact that the eventually we realize is that these things are coming together, mm-hmm. that where all these uh, soldiers are going and they're having these conversations about, well, these are guys that can, you know, catch people on fire, but just by pointing at them, we're, we're afraid if I was like, well, we're not going to deal with this. I'll, if, if they pull any crap, we're going to put them down. They're heading to the compound where Chandra and poet and all of these other specials are hiding because that one jackass <laughs> called his family on an unsecured line, gave away their location and now we have the showdown between the government forces and all yeah. of these specials. But I also like the idea that they're that, that these these people that aren't special, they're they're you know troops. They're they're you know they're tasked by the government to like you know take down. They're hyping themselves up of like you know. But what if they do this? It's like you don't know the parameters. It's the whole thing of like you know um, you know. <laughs> Oh, they may shoot first, but what if they don't? I don't know. They're threatening enough. Like they're something about this conversation of being ready to jump at like like a hair trigger moment. I'm not saying that correctly, but is again gets louder and louder. Mm-hmm. Like the more we go through what's going on today, where it's like they're just waiting for like, you know, like 
like somebody to like, you know, step on a, like, you know, a twig or fart unexpectedly and just like, you know, like, um, like a South Park thing where it's like, Oh, they're coming at me. You know, just, <laughs> they're coming me. right for us. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a real Kent state situation. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's like they put a flower in the gun, just got them down. Anyway. Just, yeah. Anyway. So, so yeah, this, this comes to the head, right. Of like what's going on. Um, and it's like, yeah. Uh, and this showdown is a hell of a thing. And I know this is your first time reading it. So, uh, you, you talk about this. I, I, this, I, I'm, a, I, again, I read this years ago, but it still doesn't hit any less hard. This yeah, is, this is because thing. initially, you know, we have all these, we, we have established the stakes. We have a bunch of low powered supers that are facing off against the government. Some, one a guy on the government side, uh, freaks out shoots and kills one of them that that sends off uh kicks off the other ones that they're going to fight they start gunning down more and more until they reach that critical mass mm-hmm. enough have died the power gets redistributed and all of a sudden these low powered supers aren't low powered anymore the bullets that were previously killing them are now bouncing off of their skin as they say they're all high powered now. Yeah, they're I think I think they refer to this as, as the was it the surge or whatever it yeah. is. Like it's like, yeah, they all leveled up, you know, and it's bad news, you know. Like, um, yeah, and so, that's where and that's where the issue ends. The <laughs> it, we go back to the prison where the doc is with uh, critical mass, who now is r- found new clothes, including a, <laughs> including a thong. Yeah, uh, yeah, that and like, like like a like a cargo like like was it uh, cargo pants and like a vest or whatever. Yeah, she looks a lot like Lita from uh, WWE <laughs> yes, at that yes, time. Yeah, and she takes the doctor who look, looks like he has a head injury, and she's like, "We're out of here. Like, yep. we're gone." Yeah. And, um, and the, the final lines is, um, uh, seems like there aren't low powers and high powers anymore. We're all high powers now. Yeah. Now we get to teach the whole world what fear is. And then that is the end of act one. Yeah. So, um, I know we walked all through it and I know that maybe it's not the most traditional way of talking about things, but my God, like you, you now have read the other four to the first four. Where are you at with this? I mean, uh, like I said, I want to keep going. <laughs> the fact that I had to stop reading right there because I want to kind of stay fresh for these conversations yes. because as we've alluded, this is not going to be our only dive into into Rising Stars. We're going to be re-coming back down the line to talk about Act 2 and then finally Act 3. So I, don't, I want to be fresh for those, but God, I want to keep going. <laughs> right. Like it's, it's, a, it's like, it's just, it all, it also opens the door for things that we weren't considering. Right. Totally. Before. And it's like, I just, and also like what's going on with uh Patriot, what's going on with bright. Like, you know, there's a lot there. What's going on with sanctuary. Right. Like, um, it is, you know, like, yeah, it's just, thank you yep. for wanting to segment this out. And I know like, and, and, and if we can figure out the scheduling, I figure we'll just go ahead and do something in July and then something in August, like, and just like round this out. Right. Like, totally. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm stoked. Like, uh, like we talked about Straczynski as a writer and he, like how he's able to like leave you hanging, but also keep peeling that onion. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, cause not only like we do, we know what uh, Patriots up to. That's not the only problem going on now. Right. And then, but we also know the overall story of like only one of them make it. Yeah. So what's going on next. Right. Um, but yeah, it's it- Yeah. And that's why I don't mind, you know, because I talked about that kind of thinking that the story was going to go one way, that thinking that they were going to drag out the mystery of this longer. 
But I don't mind the fact that that sort of expectation got subverted. I actually really like where they're going here. The fact that it started out as a very sort of intimate story about these people. And I hope he doesn't lose focus on that. And considering, you know, what I know about his writing, I don't think he will. But he's also expanding the scope. Yeah. That he's expanding it out to make it a big story. And I, I, I appreciate the hell out of that. I mean, it's certainly within his wheelhouse. If you watch Babylon 5, he's re- used to writing stories on that scale, whilst also keeping a, a very intimate look at a core group of people. But this is also Straczynski being able to, you know, write with with without the uh, having to deal with the restrictions of budget. You know, he can do these sort of high powered epic stories in this comic book format that wouldn't have been tenable in television. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I can't wait to get to the next uh, section. It, there's a, there's a lot to unpack there, too. It's it, it's a different. Clearly, I like that. Like I'm hitting my microphone now. I'm so angry about and so excited about things. <laughs> uh, critical mass. Uh, but like this is like it's a, it each each arc. It tells a complete story, but it's a different it's a different flavor, right? And I cannot wait to get into what happens next. And I'm not going to say anything else. Uh, and as much as I I know what the arc is called, I'm not going to get into it. But yeah, anyway, so. I'm glad that you're, you've you've read this. Um, if other people, I know we spoiled a lot of this. Read the goddamn book, like please. Totally, yeah. Um, and it, it's it's worthy of the journey. It's so good, um, like easily found. Please go go support this. And then also knowing that was it, um, Straczynski coming back to was it right Captain America for Marvel? Is that what he's coming back for? Recently, uh, I didn't hear hear about that. Uh, is, is he coming back to write Cap- Captain America? I think so. Uh, oh, that's cool. I think so because he had after you know after um, uh, Spider Man he did uh, he did Thor and then after that he did Fantastic Four. I read some of the Fantastic Four stuff. He he has a thing where he always wants to try to weave in. Um, he wants to go back to the origin and try to weave an extra. And it's like it worked for Spider Man, right? Like. Um, but maybe not the Fantastic Four. Like I kind of fell off from that. But mm-hmm. your mileage may vary, right? But his his, I like that he didn't dismiss the Spider-Man origin, but he added to it. That's where we get um, was it Morlan, and like the Spider Hunters, and we get a lot of like the Spider Verse shit that we're dealing with now. Yeah, um, he yeah. kind of uh, set set the stage for a lot of that stuff. Yeah, so like, there's a lot of that. Um, yeah, uh, so I think he's coming back to Captain America. Yeah, I, I, I was able yeah. to look it up. Uh, in September, he'll be doing Captain America number one. So that's when he's uh, returning to Sorry. Marvel. Sorry, um, not coming back to Captain America, but like coming back to Marvel. Yeah, so I'm excited for that. Right. So yeah. Uh, another thing, uh, another yes, title please. of his that I wanted to mention, because you also mentioned Midnight Nation, which mm-hmm. is another thing he done, did under the Joe's Comics line. And I've heard that that story is amazing. It's solid. Uh, yeah. Uh, that, so that's definitely on my to read. But I've also heard that the run that he did for Marvel Max, uh, Supreme Power, okay, is also kind of in the vein of the stuff that he was working with in uh, Rising Stars and even more so kind of set the stage for stuff that uh, would eventually get explored in things like The Boys. That makes sense. Yeah. But if you ever want to do Midnight Nation, maybe like, you know, over on your show as a Patreon yeah. thing, like, I just, I don't know, like, like I, you know, comics are always cool and I always want to talk about more stuff, stuff, right? So like in Midnight Nation, it's a little, it, it, again, it's, it's a ongoing series that has an end. I dug it. Um, and yeah, anyway, so, but good news. He's still writing comics. We still need to support him. Uh, go check out his earlier Spider-Man runs. 
it's he ended up doing uh, what was it one of the um even number 100 books what was it 300 or whatever it was not 300 one of uh, the 500 500 like. and that was like the first time during his writing outside of bringing in uh doc ock for a storyline where it was him being pissed that somebody was stealing his technology. So he ended up like partnering up with Spider-Man to like fight this asshole in Hollywood. He takes the piss <laughs> out of Hollywood productions. Cause there's like this whole thing where Mary Jane ends up part of a film called like lobster man or whatever. Like it's a whole funny thing. Right. But Straczynski didn't really, um, he didn't traffic in, uh, old school villains. Like he did his own thing. That's the one arc where he actually brought in an old school villain. It was a lot of fun. But when he went to, what was it, 500, he did this thing where it's like he ended up looping in like the entire like history of Spider-Man. Mm. It's a really cool book. Really, yeah, really, really cool. And it's the one that I've – it's a run I've always been, uh, been wanting to read mostly because if nothing else – he had the he had the book for six years. Yes, which if you read comic books with any kind of frequency, you know that that kind of beefy run that lasts years is a rarity. Yeah, so it's, it's unheard him, of in these days, right? Yeah, yeah, and for him to have a prestige figure like Spider Man for six years, I mean, granted, this was a time where Marvel was a little bit on on shaky shaky ground. Um, there's a reason that they were eventually able to be purchased by Disney and everything like that, but <laughs> yeah. he still had the character for six years. That yeah. is not, that's nothing to sneeze at. And the majority of the run he was with, uh, John Romita Jr. as the artist. Oh, yeah. Which, yeah. So like, there's some cool shit there. Like, uh, him, which, uh, yeah, shout out to John Romita Sr. Who sadly passed away a few days ago. That that's why I wanted to loop in. We, I know there's some creators that we wanted to talk about here at the end. Uh, but yeah, like, um, there, like he was given the task of like, this was after like grown up Spider-Man and, Mary Jane like divorced or like separated he found a way to slowly bring them back together and it was some really good stuff there and uh, maybe towards the end maybe got a little a little you know loosey-goosey maybe people don't like it I dug it I'm biased but yeah um, yeah yeah so anyway um, yeah before we get to to your stuff let like let's make it a point to point out like well one uh, John Romita senior passed away uh, this week which is like, if you don't know Spider-Man or, or sorry, if you love Spider-Man, you know him. Yeah. He, he was responsible. I mean, when you talk about iconic Spider-Man, uh, artists, arguably he's number two after Steve, after Steve Ditko. Yes. And, uh, I, in my opinion, a case could be made that he's actually in many ways superior to Steve Ditko. I'll give the nods to Ditko because he was the, he was the original dude and he's had an amazing career in his own right. But man, uh, Romita Senior's stuff was incredible, mm -hmm. and if nothing else, he did the panel that was the introduction of Mary Jane Watson, and thus uh, the whole "You've hit the jackpot, Tiger," or "Face a Tiger, you hit the jackpot," yeah. which launched a million fanboy crushes with one single. So panel many boys became men. Indeed. <laughs> And again, worked worked for decades and decades. He yeah. was one of the he was one of the co-creators of Wolverine. Um, you know, three different people worked on that. I think it was what Roy Thomas came up with the concept. Len Len Wein wrote the script in The Incredible Hulk, and uh, Ramita Jr. Senior uh, drew up the original design for Wolverine. So yeah, the dude came up with the design for one of the one of the most iconic superheroes of all time. Yeah. So yeah, this again. You, you you know why you love things, but like the whole, what was it? Spider-Man no more that image like that was used like Sam Raimi aped it purposely in Spider-Man. Totally. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Like, right. Rightfully so. Right. Like the world won't have Spider-Man to kick around anymore. <laughs> right. You no, know, it's just, 
Yes, right. And so many hostess fruitcake ads. I'm kidding. That's not. Oh, happening. totally. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, no. Just like you got to appreciate those that did the things that we love. So, um, and and before we get to uh, Peter David in a second, I I know that you're gonna. I don't know if you're gonna do it in your show or here. There's another uh, creative person that passed this week. Um, with uh, two two more actually two more okay yeah well because uh, on the literary side yes. uh, Cormac McCarthy mm-hmm. passed away it was actually all of these guys died the same day it was John John Romita Senior Cormac McCarthy who was of course responsible for the road No Country for Old Men Blood Meridian all the pretty horses um, uh, undeniably an incredibly talented writer. Can be a little bit divisive at various times. Uh, I, I find myself a little bit more on the uh, the James uh, Elroy side of things <laughs> concerning some of the criticisms that he had about Cormac McCarthy's writing style. I won't I won't repeat the quote since uh, this is a fr- family friendly show. I dropped but, the what uh, f bomb. I, I got in front of you. So family friendly. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, do you want me to say the quote? Sure, sure, fine. We're like, okay. Yeah. F- favorite quote from this is uh, James Elroy, the gentleman who wrote things like Black Dahlia and uh, Ellie Confidential. Uh, he's like, yeah, I read Cormac McCarthy, and I was thinking, why doesn't this cocksucker use quotation marks? <laughs> and every time I pick up a Cormac McCarthy book, I think the same thing. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So, anyway, yeah. uh, but put that aside, undeni- undeniably a classic of Amer- uh, American literature, an amazingly talented author, and he sadly passed away. And the last of which uh, was Treat Williams. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sorry. I, I I was aware, but I wasn't thinking about this in the conversation. But yes, please, go ahead, please. Yes. Yeah, so obviously Treat Williams, uh, long long uh, career in his own right, highs and lows in terms of his performance. For every uh, Once Upon a Time in America, there was Dead Heat. Which you know what I rewatched Dead Heat when Treat Williams died. Every time I watch that movie, I I, I like it a little bit well, more. And so. Steve talked about like recently during like the Joe Bob thing. Like he like like loves the film. That was a lot of fun. Bought the Blu-ray. So yeah, re- respect. Like even he was like is he's like what well, he said. Aside from all the Piscopo of it all, <laughs> but even the more I watch it, the more the more Joe Piscopo becomes more bearable, and he actually becomes kind of charming in his in his late eighties, early nineties goofiness. Especially since Joe Piscopo is a guy that definitely loves the fact that he has muscles, and so he will wear the tightest shirts possible and arrange his arms in such a way to pop his triceps at the biggest so, amount. So, do, do you think Piscopo walked so Carrot Top could run? I has to right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a state. That's a sentence I never thought I'd say out loud. All right. right. <laughs> yes. But the sad thing yeah. about Treat Williams is, unlike Cormac McCarthy or John Romita Sr., who were old men who pa- passed away from being old men, man, Treat Williams died in a motorcycle accident. Which yeah, that's is a like, bummer. Ah, that's yeah. a bummer. Yeah. I mean, hopefully it was like, for all things considered, hopefully, hopefully it was fast. You know, like yeah. that's, that's, yeah, but no, that's a bummer, right? So. But uh, as we think about, you know, those that have passed, you know, our minds should hopefully go to the creatives that are still here, some of which are kind of experiencing hard times. Struggling, and yeah. One, one of them is somebody we've mentioned on the show in the past, uh, Peter David. And there was a post that was going around. Um, I, I originally saw this shared from a site called Ugh, another comic book panels page. And they brought up a good point that right now one of the biggest movies in the cinema is Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which I haven't had the opportunity to see, but uh, I imagine it's fantastic. It's Yeah, it's it's 
Yeah, it's wonderful. Yes. Yep. And prominently featured in that film, based upon the trailers, I can presume, is, of course, the character of Spider-Man 2099. And that was a character that was created by Peter David in his long, illustrious career. You want to talk about epic runs on a character? Yeah, uh, Straczynski had Spider-Man for six years. How many years did Peter David have the Hulk? Yeah. <laughs> you know, he, yeah. He, was, he was one of those dudes. Um, despite the fact that he created... Spider-Man 2099, due to the nature of the work-for-hire world of comic books, despite the fact that Across the Spider-Verse is one of the biggest movies ever featuring one of his creations, he's not seeing one dime of residuals out of that movie. And so the idea kind of came across that, you know, he's he's having a lot of health issues. He has a GoFundMe out there because, again, there's not exactly a retirement plan for these comic book creatives. And the freelance world. And the thing that I put out there is like, you know, if you paid money uh, for Sp- for Across the Spider-Verse, you went out to go see the theater, that's fine. Maybe consider ta- uh, matching that. Yeah. Take the, take the money you spent for Spider-Verse and then match it and, and help out uh, Peter David's GoFundMe. Because, again, without these creatives, we wouldn't have these films that we enjoy. And, yes, I know the nature of these sorts of uh, superhero uh, 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 entities. They don't belong to a single creative. They become part of the larger cor- – uh, if, if I'm cynical, I will say be part of the, the larger corporate intellectual property thing. But I like to think of it as more as the, the cultural milieu that we enjoy, the cultural world of comic books, the never-ending story of these characters – but because the, the, the companies aren't too terribly inclined to help the creatives, it's incumbent upon us as fans to help out however we can. So just the thought, if you saw Across the Spider-Verse, if you enjoyed that film and you enjoyed the character of what is Miguel O'Hara, is that his name? Yeah, I think so. If you Spider-Man 2099, maybe consider matching the money you spent to see that movie in the theater for Peter David's GoFundMe. Yeah, and I, I made a donation today. Um, I'm not trying to be like, oh, I'm better than you. Like, I, I paid. Like, it's like Steve made it a point because he talked about like how comics creators. He had a personal uh, post about like how they don't get paid dick, right? Like, and no. it's like it's just it's very frustrating. And then and then you even mentioned um, oh, what was it, the one artist uh, today in our private chat? Um, the gentleman, Joe Majera. Yeah, how I made I made the comment about like you know like he's at least made three video games in the meantime, and Steve's like, well, oh, yeah. and the joke joke for that is uh, again because we're talking about <laughs> late '90s comic books. Joe Majera back in the day he did a comic book called Battle Chasers that when it came out it was big big news. You know this was a hot new comic, but it was also became notorious for how late it was. It was released nine issues and then it stopped. Now, 22 years later, they finally put out <laughs> issue 10. So he's extended his, he's finally got off the couch. But as Steve pointed out, it's just like, consider this. In the late 90s, Joe Maggera was the hottest comic book or artist out there. It was basically him and Mike Turner. Mm-hmm. You know, they were the heirs apparent to the first wave of image guys, the new superstar comics, uh, comic book artists. And Mads was at this point, he literally could have written his own ticket for anything in the comic book industry. And what did he decide to do? Go into video games. That's how messed up the industry is. That's it's it's not it's not a very sustainable career path for so many people. And it's only gotten worse. 
Absolutely. So, yeah. So, like, when you mentioned that gap, I'm like, well, yeah, there's three Darksiders games. 3.5. There's another that's one. That's true. Yeah. That's when you're like, you're like, yeah, I think, well, the, I think uh, there was a Battle Chasers game somewhere in there, but I, I think so mistaken. as well. Yeah. But it was just funny. You're like, well, that's a thing. I'm like, well, I, yeah, I understand. But it's like, you know, whatever. Like, he's getting paid for making beefy dudes with swords. But yes. That's true. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. Darkside, I, I still have not finished the second game. That first game's amazing, but it's neither here nor there. But I need to play those games. I've heard they're good. You would, I think. I mean, from what I, you would like the first one. That's the one I played. It's like, there you go. it's like, what if God of War and Legend of Zelda had a baby and it was also like super like metal? Like, I don't know. Anyway, of course yeah. that ventures into that weird world where sometimes it's hard to get a hold of old games these days. You know, that's fair. It's like, um, is, is Darksiders on the uh, PlayStation store? If not, I won't be able it should to play be, it because I'm able to play Darksiders two right now. But, uh, but yeah, uh, so maybe, but uh, eventually when like three years from now, when you get to God of War Ragnarok, please let me talk about that. <laughs> I'm hoping to play it by the end of the year. We'll see. <laughs> oh, it looks like dark siders was released on the PS4. So I should be able to play that. Yeah. So, all right, there we go. So there you go. Seven years from now, when we talk about God of War Ragnarok, <laughs> just like uh, eventually I got to get around to the game, the, what the like, order 1888. I know I, know, I shoved that on you. You're like, I don't know how to play video games. I'm like, just goddamn take it. <laughs> At some point, I will play it. No, you, you appreciate the aesthetic. It's a short game. There's problems. Anyway, you're here or there. It's from Ready at Dawn Studios that did the PSP God of War games. So hopefully okay. there's some pedigree there. Anyway, the, yeah, go to Peter Davis GoFundMe. Support him. The dude has been responsible for so many cool things. You know, like same thing, Straczynski. Like, like you support him too. Done a cool, sh- lot of cool shit. We're going to talk about him two more times. I cannot wait now that we're in uncharted territory with you for what's coming next, I am super excited. This is going to be a lot of fun. It will be. Yeah. It will be. And we'll, of course, get into some of the other stuff that has surrounded Rising Stars, uh, Peter David's own encounters with uh, corporations and the comic book industry and the movie industry as well. And yeah. again, the reoccurring thing of don't mess with Peter Day or sorry, uh, J. Michael Straczynski. Yeah, yeah. He, 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 he will not tolerate this. Yeah. Yeah. Like I respect that, but I was also frustrated. Why? Sure. <laughs> store over and over again. But anyway, so, all right, that's going to do it for the show. Look at it. Hey, look at us. Look, look at you like invasion. We're still 40 minutes behind schedule in terms of like, like, I know we didn't even hit like three hours. I know. I'm so like, I'm, I'm a hack and a fraud anyway. So, um, <laughs> all right. So here we got to get, let me, let me get some Steven here. Luke Skywalker's ball sack. There we go. We got to do that. So there it is. There it is. There it is. So, all right, we're going to round this out. Um, Like clearly you have the much more successful and much more widely reached uh, show. And you're going to be like bullshit, but we know it is. Tell people what you're doing now and everything. I see that you're getting into some um, odd. I saw a film called Borg man. That's not dealing with the Borg. Um, no, no. And at first I thought it was Bergman and I was getting into like, you know, uh, uh, morose Swedish cinema, but no. Um, <laughs> so for those that don't know, I do a show called uh, talk without rhythm. For it those, is a weekly for movie those discussion. that don't know, everybody knows. Everybody Just in case, you know, <laughs> this could, you never know who's, uh, who's coming on and that this is their first episode. So Fair enough. just Fair in enough. case, yes. I do a I do a, a show called Talk Without Rhythm. It's a weekly movie discussion uh, show where I take two films that are tangentially tied together by a theme and talk about them. Uh, right now, I'm back doing my Patreon uh, episodes where my very generous patrons have recommended films for me to watch, and I'm watching them. So the most recent episode I put out 
was a Brandon Cronenberg double feature, mm-hmm. Brandon Cronenberg being the son of David Cronenberg. And I took a look at his two films, Antiviral from 2012 and Possessor from 2020. And the next episode is another Patreon pick. And it was, uh, as Paul mentioned, the selection from the patron was a 2013 Dutch film, I believe it is. It might be Danish. I might be mixing them up. Of a film called Borgman, which is a film that I had never seen. Still haven't, uh, because I haven't recorded the episode yet. Um, But based upon the premise of it, the idea of a mysterious stranger coming in and disrupting a household... I decided that uh, that sounded enough like another film that I had that had seen back in the day, uh, tw- 2001's Visitor Q by director Takashi Miike. Mm. Uh, if you're not familiar with Miike, he directed uh, Audition. He directed uh, Itchy the Killer. He's directed hundreds of films now at this point. The mm. guy was prolific as hell back in the day. Uh, and Visitor Q is one of his more messed up films. So that's going to be the next episode. Hopefully there's going to be enough thematic material tying these some together. Sometimes with these Patreon picks, particularly if it's films that I haven't seen, it's kind of best guess of what (laughs) ends up being the the thing to pair it with. Uh, But if nothing else, uh, I'm looking forward to getting uh, the opportunity to talk about more Takashi Miike films because I'm very much an admirer of his demented style of filmmaking. And uh, Borgman seems very, very interesting. So that's going to be the next episode. Fair enough. Um, it's just, I, I always like that you like, you know, I know that you have your different tiers of your Patreon stuff that I like that you always try to meet um, those that suggest one, you try to meet them halfway with a second pick. Like I always, yeah. yeah like, so I appreciate that. Uh, obviously you do the Lord's work over there and you talk circles around like you, oh yeah, you, your show is so good, it's intimidating. Like, and uh-huh. you're gonna blah 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 blah. Also, I want to wish you a happy five year anniversary for watching Sabata. I just want to wish. Oh, did we did we hit that five year? Uh, it's well, I saw I saw my memories that you posted that it was an upcoming episode. So we're getting close to the five year anniversary of Sabata. Ah, beautiful. <laughs> I love that movie. Goddamn, I need to rewatch it. I, yes, right. It's like, it's like, and I, I have a cat named after that. So you know, here you we do. go. So here we go. So, um, yeah. No, this has been fun. Cannot wait to get to part two and part three. Um, yeah, go check out Talk Without Rhythm. It's much more uh, cultured and uh, sophisticated and less drunk than the show. Um, so, but in the meantime, so next week. Um, I'm going to have uh, Sam Lael uh, Newman from At the Devil's Ball, the other half of the At the Devil's Ball, because I had uh, Nathaniel on recently. Um, we're going to do a Year of Canon revisit because it's Ooh. always fun. Because uh, like uh, because um, the first time uh, Sam Lael ever did a podcast was with us and Steve talking about Death Wish Three. Um, so I figured, you know what? Why not like have him on for another Canon episode? We're talking about Life Force. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> sexy vampire sexy time vampire. yeah yeah right yeah um full frontal nudity and full frontal patrick stewart and uh, not really yeah. but a what's lot of patrick his, what's, stewart. His, what's his nuts making out with patrick stewart <laughs> yeah it's gonna get weird right so it's gonna be a lot of fun so all right um that's gonna be next week uh, in the meantime everybody have a good week have uh, have a safe week um and also like i don't know i got nothing like um i just I, the, everybody's special no like, go read some know, comics go read some comics Just hang.